rock stars, roadies, or groupies were harmed in the making of this broadcast. Giving it to you straight and no chaser. This is On the Rocks with Jamie Wilson. Welcome to On The Rocks. I'm Jamie Wilson. we got a great show for you guys today. But hey, man, just a few current events. We're still at Alert Level 2. They're exploring the option of going back to Alert Level 1, but I'm not sure we're ready yet. Our numbers are going down, but please stay vigilant. Get vaccinated. Get boosted. Stay negative. And, of course, if you have been living under a rock and you hadn't noticed, um, the election season is upon us. The official campaign season has started. So please, guys, let's fight fair. Let's fight clean. And may the best woman win. <laughs> All right, just a few announcements from Offshore Music. Anna Mori has just released her latest banger called Vivid, available on all streaming platforms. And she's going to be releasing a music video on February 11th on her Vivo channel, man. Check it out. Some new music from one of our favorites, Anna Mori. Thank you also so much to Buenos Dias, Panaderia. Oh, your Milo buns are beautiful, baby. Beautiful. Thank you to our friends from Liquor.ph. Liquor.ph. Yeah, keeping me company tonight is a bottle of Angostura Caribbean rum. Yeah, baby. Check out the great deals you can get from bottles to bundles from our friends at Liquor.ph. Thank you also so much to Colab Asia who hooked it up with Anchor Podcast. Now, Anchor, have you ever wanted to make a podcast but just can't get your shit together, guys? Well, you look no further because there's this great app called Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast on your computer or straight from your phone. All the creation tools you need in one place plus an idiot-proof interface makes it a one-stop shop. It's never been easier to create, publish, and distribute whatever your dirty minds want to say. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started. Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's smooth like butter, baby. And of course, our featured partner tonight is Archipelago. We continue our series with featuring mentors from their online learning platform. Now, guys, Archipelago, in case you haven't heard, there's an amazing initiative from the Philippine Creative Industries that is spearheading practical education in the arts and the related support systems, bridging the gap between the academic and the actual experience in working in the arts by providing fundamental classes and courses taught by mentors who have not only been working in the business, but also succeeding in their respective fields. As a specialized online learning platform, you can take creative courses that range from songwriting to recording, musical theater to guitar improvisation to producing records and managing artists and discovering um, your fans through music analytics and you know it's a whole lot more tonight we've got one of their mentors he's teaching a course for archipelago called show don't tell become an effective screenwriter please welcome the most wonderful the ultra talented and truly the dearest person you'll ever meet ladies and gentlemen please welcome wango galiaga hi <clears throat> hi jamie hey wango how are you Good, 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 good. Uh, it was a busy day, but I'm good. Excited for this. Busy days, busy days are always good. Better than not doing anything. 
True. True, true, true. All right, Wango, how has the pandemic been treating you? It's uh, been, what, we're almost at three years now? We're it's almost at three years. years. Yeah. Uh, I had my first meltdown, actually, uh, considering oh. just late last year, where it was just like, I couldn't believe that we were hitting a third year. The year was ending. I was, uh, uh, it was just the same old, same old, just the four corners of your room. And it was just, yeah. it, it got to me. It really got to me. Uh, I was so lucky for the holiday break. I was able to go and visit my family, recharge. And now I'm like, okay, we'll start again. But in comparison, the first year, the first year and a half of the pandemic, I was doing fine. I was doing better than ever. I was the one that people were calling for an anchor, you know. Nice. I was like, oh, my God, I'm so strong. I'm so, you know, you know, I'm, 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 I'm capable. And then it hit me, and I was so depressed. It was awful. It was awful. But I'm glad I'm out of it. I'm glad you're out of it, too. You know, it's, it's very important that you also check on the strong ones. Right, like I, yeah. I, I went through that as well. Like everybody's like coming to me for advice. Jamie, what face shield do we buy? What face mask? What about these protocols? You know, so I became the go-to guy. And then like people who had like you know who were at the end of their rope, um, you know, turned me into the suicide hotline. So we get phone yeah. calls at three o'clock in the morning, and they're like, Jamie, you gotta talk to me, bro. I'm like, what? what what's going on? Well, you know, and I'm like, you gotta talk, you gotta talk them through it and all that. And then eventually, you realize if you don't recharge. Mm-hmm. You you're just running on empty, and if you're running on empty, you can't help anybody. If you don't help yourself, you can't help anybody else. And if you're the strong one, you have to also learn to ask for help. Yeah, that's the hardest part, really. That's no the one hardest you part. That. No one teaches you that. Yeah, yeah. Everybody teaches you. Okay, you gotta be. You gotta. You have to be generous with your time. You have to be helpful. You have to like you know be there for somebody. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Uh, what about me? You know what yeah. I mean? And it's yeah. it's amazing though this this journey like in your in your own four walls like we're 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 used to be going out and, and getting energy also from other people. I love being in a room with creative minds. Mm-hmm. And when we got locked into the, these four walls, you're like, how do I make these four walls the best four walls that can be? Because I'm not going to see the outside for a while. You know, in the beginning of the pandemic, and I realized that you know when I transitioned into being being a safety officer, it was a perfect. Um, it, perfect reason for me to go out because then you're helping you're volunteering you're assisting and then you're also working eventually mm-hmm. and i get to go out and it's yeah. funny enough during the pandemic i have been to places more places in the philippines than i've ever been <laughs> for shoots and it's like wow man i didn't even know this place existed oh there's a resort here you know and it's quite yeah. interesting because when you're dealing with people on the outside in the outside world and you know as a safety officer i didn't realize that you know you can do all the protocols you want right but you also have to manage people's anxiety. Yes. So, so I had to manage my own. <laughs> right. I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> how do I do this? They didn't do this in training, you know? <laughs> but it's quite interesting because you, you really figure out who is really, I mean, you know, who, who people really are. When faced with something as life-changing as a pandemic, mm-hmm. right? And you really figure out who you are. You figure yeah. out, you know, people, who people are. What, what they're really made of and it's quite well, interesting because you discover you discover new things i mean i've always been an extrovert i've always surrounded myself with people in my 20s in my early 30s i was always out of the house uh you know at some point my parents said wango you're treating this house like a hotel you know <laughs> it, it, it come to that point but i just loved it i got i i'm, I'm I, I, can, I consider myself an empath so uh-huh. i feed off of people which is why 
of being in school, uh, uh, teaching. I yeah. love that energy, that exchange that's happening in a classroom. I really love it. And when the pandemic happened in the first six months, I was like, you know what? This is great too. Solitude is nice. I love this. You know, I, I, I'm keeping, I, I was, did realize that I had extended so much of my extroverted energy. Um, and at some point, we got very comfortable. We started to realize how the, the pandemic was working. So you, you would only see certain friends on very yes. certain conditions. Like, yeah. um, everyone is vaccinated. Um, we're not leaving this bubble. It's just a friend's house, etc. And I started to like that level of um, communication and connection. You know, it's like, okay, boy, was I expending so much energy dealing with a lot of people. I guess it's age. I guess it's like I could do it in my 20s and my 30s. Now that I'm 42, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. So it depends really on the kind of a lot of people. True. You know what I mean? True. Because, you know, you walk into a party and it's full of interesting looking people and you're like, mm, you know what? Nah. Mm, no, yeah. But then there are times where like, hey, mm, a target rich environment. Hello. But you know I'm the I mean? kind of person who come into that a room full of really interesting people. I'm going to sit down and have a really deep conversation with one person yes. throughout the whole night. That's yes. me. And somebody, yes. I, I'm somebody I met, we, we were introduced, we started talking and by, like after about half an hour or, or close to 45 minutes, he goes, you know, I've told you things I've never told people before. Uh, you don't do small talk, do you? And I was like, no, I don't do small talk. It's such, I don't have time for it anymore. <laughs> I like I like I like quick deep conversations and I'm gonna move on. I'm a butterfly, so I walk around. Ah, okay. I, I walk around, and then when I discover, and then when I discover somebody who's like, oh, I'm gonna sit down mm-hmm. and talk to this person. That's when you know, all right, this conversation is gonna be gonna be amazing, <laughs> you know. But yeah, you know, communication communication is so important, um, especially now. Like we've all had to get sort used to this online platform. Yeah. You know, thank God we have this. Can you imagine if it? If, if, if this happened to us in the 90s where what, we'll be home playing Snake on our Nokia the whole time, oh my God. You know, Dial up? We wouldn't even <laughs> be able to watch stuff on streaming. I mean, yeah. there would DVD, be no streaming. Your, your, your local pirate DVD uh, uh, seller would be going house to house. <laughs> That's true. That's because true. All of a sudden, they're like, doing house calls. Like delivery, or oh, sir, I have a new list today. Oh, what do right, you want? Yeah. That's true. That's I'm the so glad that, for you. But I'm so I'm so glad that this mode of communication has opened up because you realized, I mean, I realized at least that there's no need to actually like, you know, I remember going to like three, four meetings a day, and I realized, you know what, these meetings could have been done via this platform. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to deal with traffic. I didn't have to spend, I didn't have to like, you know, get into a cab and we can do this, right? That's in hindsight. Of course, now. I'm I'm super hungry. Like face to face meeting. Yeah, yeah. I'll be there. I'll be Let's there just to it. see people. Yeah, just to see people. I'll be there. You know. Yeah. I'll bring I'll bring just, coffee. Just know? to wear pants again. Yes, to I'm wearing pants now. Ah, okay. I I, I like I, I like wearing pants. I like wearing pants during my meeting because you know what? I if I wear shorts, I tend to fall asleep. Oh, okay, okay. Because my brain, I have to trick my brain into thinking I'm going out. Right. Okay. So therefore, I have to wear my pants. I'm wearing a belt. Cool and long shoes. I, you know I, I teach mean? with my I teach with my boxers. They don't know it, but I'm in my boxers when I teach <laughs> in my classes. I just don't stand up. 
Well, yeah, I I don't stand up either. But you know what? If I if I if I go into a Zoom meeting in my boxers, then then I'm not I'm not I'm not paying attention. My brain is still like it's you're at home, there. man. You're at home. So I have to fool myself. Like you know, you take a shower, you fix your hair, you fool <laughs> yourself into thinking, oh, I'm going out, and right. then you like log on, right? Yeah. And that's that's what I do. But okay, so Wango, um, you know, so. Teaching, you 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 obviously enjoy teaching. We'll circle around back to that. But writing, okay. I want to mm-hmm. talk to you about writing. Um, when did you get into it? How did you get into it? Um, when I was a kid, I was the kind of kid who was changing the jobs I wanted to do almost every week. Mom, I want to be this when I grow up. I want to be this when I grow up, etc. Then I remember reading a book. I was about twelve or thirteen at the time. I remember reading a book, and I said, "Goodness gracious, I could be. I could write better than this. I could write a better oh, story no. than this." And I said, okay, I'm going to be a writer. And for the first time, it never, I, it never changed. It's, it got uh, stuck. It stuck. It stuck. And the reason why was because I could actually do it. Like, you know, I mean, before when I'd say, you know, I want to be a hotel owner, etc. You don't have a hotel to run. True. You know, uh, you want to be a doctor. You have no one to operate on, you know, thank God. Um, um, but as a writer, you said, I'm going to be, I'm going to be a writer. I, I want to write. Uh, and then all of a sudden you're there and you're typing on WordStar. My God, if you remember WordStar and <laughs> yeah. uh, with your floppy disks, etc. I started writing poems. I started writing essays. I started writing fiction. And then I would get feedback from my dad and from my, you know, from my mom. My mom wasn't helpful. I love my mom to bits, but she loves everything I do, even my craft work. So I, you know, it was always my dad. That's your mom. That those those are our mothers. Those are our mothers. Our mother. Ah, you were so good in that, honey. I love you. <laughs> and then you see the yeah. playback, and it's like, no, I wasn't, mom. <laughs> <laughs> what you talking about, mom? <laughs> and then, but when my dad, it's like you know, I was I was twelve or something when I showed him my first set of poems, and he goes, "Is this in the computer? Do you have this saved?" I said, "Yes," and he rips them up in front of me. They're cat farts. Stick to the essay. You need to read more. Whoa. And he knew. I mean, he wouldn't have done that to my other brothers or to my sister, etc. He knew that that's what I needed. And I was like, okay, I'm going to yeah. show you cat farts. Yeah. Okay, I'm going <laughs> to show you. And he didn't stop. And um, he eventually gave me a writing job. Wonderful. You know, nepotism is amazing. Uh, he gave me a writing job. He did a TV show. Uh, he did a movie called Batang X. Mm. And they wanted to turn it into comics, into local comics. So you comics with a K, you know. And he said, he told the publisher, I'm not going to charge you royalties, but I want my son to be the one writing it. Wow. So I, was, I was 14 years old, second year high school, and I had a paying job. I was getting paid weekly working on a comic book. And I had a 32-page, you know, comic book above my schoolwork. I had 32 pages per week to do. And I was getting paid. Recesses on me, guys, you know. Big <laughs> shot among my friends. And I just never stopped from there. Everything I did from that point on was just to become a better writer. I think it's I think it's fantastic where you say like going going back into like oh you can you if you want to be a writer you can immediately become a writer you didn't even need WordStar, a, a pen yeah, and a paper, and, a paper, and yeah, if you sure. and if you are just writing you're 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 writing, um, and then of course you know when you when you say you wrote poetry you know, you know I made I, I I used to write poetry I still do at times, and then you realize eventually that okay it's different when you are writing poetry than to become a poet right you know what i mean or you're writing and you become a writer and i think it's a sense of ownership 
mm-hmm. and ownership. No, and 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 I, I think knowing that this, your lifestyle is going to be, I'm going to be in front of the computer forever if I'm a writer. Right. What I mean, um, how how young were you? I mean, you know, obviously you're 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 Philippine film royalty, you know. Yeah. Um, I have to say it like that, right? Um, and did 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 your dad bring you onto the set? Did you grow Always. up on film sets? I mean, we had to understand why our dad was home for a month doing nothing. He was, you know, we were all watching movies together. Um, he'd be playing the computer. He'd be reading. He'd be listening to opera, and then he'd be gone for three months. And we had to understand what, where would, where would dad be, you know? So sometimes he'd bring us to the film sets. Um, and so we, you know, we grew up with actors, etc. He'd bring props home. So the Chanak in from 1986, ah. the, the prop of the Chanak was at home in our, in, in our uh, living room. And so all of a sudden, we never had a curfew. So we could sleep at whatever time we wanted to. But for the first time, people were sleeping early because they want to be the ones to wake up first and put the chanak on someone's bed. <laughs> you know? And so you'd wake up and you have a chanak in your bed. Oh my God, I would you know? freak the fuck out, man. I think that's why horror doesn't scare me anymore. Like, I, I, you know, the moment I see something on, on film that looks like a prop or looks like CGI, boom, it's gone. You know, because I I've lived it. You know, yeah. there was a chana. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a chana on your bed for crying out loud. Yeah. So so, so that, um uh, yeah. So do you, do you think like okay so growing up on the film sets and now you're teaching screenwriting? Mm-hmm. What I mean, um, for film you you obviously love film. Um, as you said, you know, you can talk three hours about film longer. and all that. Then probably longer. Yeah, that that must have fed your impetus to actually follow this path. Even though it was a book, it was a book that made you say, oh, I can write better than this, right? How did that transition from the essay, like your dad tearing it up, you know, as cat mm-hmm. farts, focusing on the essay and then saying, and then working on the comic book, and then, okay, I, want, I, I can write for film? That's a, that's a totally different animal. Um, that was actually by accident. I didn't want to do anything with film. I was so, I was so uh, frustrated being in my dad's shadow. Yeah. Like every time someone meets and then they introduce you as, oh, Peke Galeaga, so, oh, are you going to be a director too, et cetera? And it just, it bothered me. I felt like I didn't have my own identity. Um, yeah. I think my other siblings were so fine with it. They were so well adjusted. Like they could, oh, yeah, he's my dad, blah, blah, blah. No, no. But for me, it was such an affront to my identity. Like it's like, I am my own person, you know? So I was against it. I was planning to be a novelist, you know? I was going to write books. And then because uh, I was studying in La Salle at the time, um, and all of their teachers were poets. So all of a sudden I started moving towards poetry more than, than fiction. Um, so I started moving to that direction. But I, had, I had no interest of joining uh, the, you know, the film industry. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, I started watching movies at four years old. Uh, I was watching movies and learning about movies before I even started reading, before I even started reading books. True. So every time I started writing it was just so easy for me to, um, you know, I, I threw myself at it at a really young age. It was quite easy for me to just jump from advertising to PR to live events, etc. And at some point, my dad was looking for someone to do a story on this. He goes, Mom, do you want to give it a shot? I was in between jobs at the time. So I said, see, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So I wrote a treatment. And then eventually said, OK, let's turn it into a screenplay. And so I started to work in that level. A lot of, we were trying, and then I started realizing, oh, 
I like this better. You know, like I didn't want to. It, it never yeah. hurt to me. I'm going to be in the film industry. It's like, I need a writer right now. I need someone. And, you know, you're a writer. So write it for me. And I was like, okay, sure. Um, it wasn't a plan or anything. And then I wrote it and I realized, you know, I've been re- watching movies since I was four. I watch movies all the time. In all my free time, me and my family are always watching movies. It was so natural for me to write a script. Yes, uh, and I know how production is done, etc. I've seen films being put together. We we break it down as a family, uh, so um, it was so easy for me to shift into writing for film, and that I kept writing a lot. I've written so many unproduced work because a lot of the stuff that me and my dad worked together on, people said that you know it's oh so it's a great script. I don't think people are gonna watch it though, you know. <laughs> So it was a long time before I got to that point where we were able to finally produce something and work to work on something together. And that was my first, that was my entry into film. I think it's fantastic because like, a, you know, probably you were fighting it because you didn't want to go into the same industry as your father. Right. I can totally I relate. I can totally relate when people would interview, oh, you know, oh, so you're Johnny Wilson's son. So are you going to be, you know, a politician? Or an actor. And I'm like, you know, you're going to be in films. And I'm like, no, I'm going to be in theater. And I'm going to be in a rock and roll band. <laughs> you know, that was my form of rebellion. You right, know, in that right. sense. But it but was close enough. With. Yeah, it was it was close enough because, that yeah, that, that's exactly what you grew up with. And really, uh, you know, with, with your father um, tearing up your, <laughs> your, your um, cat farts. Cat <laughs> farts. It, you know, um, it, w- was there any pressure? Because really, you know, um, it's it's almost impossible to to get out of that shadow. I mean, even mm-hmm. even now, people of a certain age will be like, "Oh, Johnny," you know what I mean? Talking to me, yeah. expecting me to react like my father, have the same opinions as my father. Of you know, a certain mm-hmm. age group, and I'm like, wait, 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 I'm rock and roll. I'm a totally different animal. But did you did you have any problems being in the shadow of? Um, at some point, no, because it took a long time before I got my first film done. So during that time, I had made a name for myself in the magazine world. Like people mm-hmm. said, hey, Mango, I've seen your writing. I've read your article in this magazine, in nice. this newspaper. Um, I made an, uh, Because I was such an extrovert, uh, I was going to all of these parties, etc. I was getting pictures in, on, on, on magazines and the events pages, etc. I was able to make a name for myself and people knew who I was. So I was not just Peke Galiaga's son. Yes, I was yeah. my own person as well by the time I got into the industry. Thank God. Yeah, that's that's good. That's good because at least you can do, you know, you have your own identity and basically you can call your, your shots, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you fell in love with screenwriting, all right, because, you know, in most, most of my career as an actor, even as a safety officer or as a technical director, right, it's like everything is, why do we have to do this? Why do we have to have some of this? It's the fucking writer's fault. <laughs> you know? because really it's 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 the printed page if you work in theater and you receive a script that script is like the bible yes right? i mean this, this is your bible you can take certain you know artistic licenses you can you, you can stretch certain things but really it's a very set story now mm-hmm. when you write when you write um what do you start with what's what's uh, the seed of your you know ideas you know, I've been going through a lot of, because now that I'm teaching script writing, I had to go through a lot of script writing books. I've attended my fair share of workshops. And then all the writing stuff that I've been to, fiction, playwriting, etc. it's always start with character. Everyone always says start with character. But for me, I'm not. I'm a thematic writer. 
Mm. Like the first thing I think about when I'm writing a, a screenplay or any story for that matter, because I, you know, for if it's a graphic novel, whatever, the thing is, what is it that I want to say? Yeah. That's what I start with. And then I start to put all the elements together based on that. What, how do I, what elements can I use to say this in the best possible way? Um, sometimes, of course, you do come up with a really interesting setup or a very interesting combination of characters. It's like, okay, what can I do with this? I'll always go back. Okay, so I have this setup. What do I want to say about this thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a thematic writer. Um, yeah. I see so the basically, product. Basically, you, you, what's, what's, what's your thesis? What do you want people to think, to feel? Uh, when they walk out of the theater, what are their thoughts in their brain? I mean, like, because yeah. if you... Like a lot of people, a little like in all the workshops that I've I've been to, also it's not writers' workshop; it's acting workshops. It's always mm-hmm. about building your character, right? Mm-hmm. But you you only have certain leeway to build your character because the writer has set it down on the script. So mm-hmm. I can be there are only certain blanks you can fill in, and there are certain blanks that are no, it's written, it's not a blank, it's there. So you have to do that. So you just have to find your own reasons. And I think creating a, a starting out with characters. Um, sometimes I would assume that you would end up with a lot of interesting characters in the room, but what are we going to do? Right. And if you don't have anything to say, then what's the point in having all these interesting characters in the room? Exactly. Oh, well, that's for me. I mean, I, 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 I remember reading books, uh, et cetera, and crying like, like a baby over them, et cetera, because it's like how everything just comes together and it hits you with that message. Or a movie that's you know driven you to tears, and it's not just you know the performances or the no, it's it's everything coming together, saying one you know unified thing. So I think what unifies all the elements together is what is it that you want to say? I mean, why are you writing? Is you, do you just want to put down words in the paper? You just want to see things on screen or on stage? No, you write because you have something to say. You have a point of view. You have a perspective that you want to share to the world. The writing, the filmmaking, the, the theater doing, etc., the the music itself is just the medium by which you're expressing yeah. yourself through. True. Yeah. True. That's and if I may, if I may uh, uh, um, uh, interject, uh, Jamie, um, in in playwright in in plays, the Bible, the script is Bible. Yeah. In film, it's not. The script is yeah. is it's not. You know, uh, and something that I always do when I teach in my classes. Once you have the script and it's finished, product, if that's approved by the producer, say goodbye. Because that's going to change. <laughs> I learned that the hard way. I learned that the hard way. I'm like, why are you changing your lines, dude? When, when I'm on a film set, like if I have a, a cameo role or, you know, yeah. walk on part, I'm like, why, why are you changing your lines? And I have to remind myself that this is not theater. Yes. There's not a specific cue. That we're doing live, that's waiting on this specific word. And because you have take two, you can do yeah, it again. If, and if the director sees something, he'll tell mm-hmm. you to run with it. You know, yeah. we discover that in theater during rehearsals, but most often than not, these things are discovered right when you're rolling on the set. Yeah. Which is kind of kind of insane. Are you that does that drive you nuts when no. when people change things? No, um, I knew that from the start. I mean, I knew that as a kid, watching my dad and et cetera. Oh, we're not going to follow this in the script. This is, uh, you know, this actor did this fantastic improv. We're going to run with it. We're going to play with it, etc. So I've always known that my script is basically just the, um, it's just the, uh, the, the skeletal structure 
Yeah. But how they fill up the rest of the movie is up to the is at what happens during pre-production, production, and most especially the editing. I'd be lucky if the director says, "Well, I'm join us in the set, etc." So if there are going to be changes to be made, you can do that. My dad's like that; he likes having me at the set. But other directors, it's like, no, you know. Oh no! Set. Other 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 directors are like, no, Jamie, keep the writer away. Yes, you know. Yeah, it's, it's me. I just love that feeling. I love being there. I love how things evolve and change. It's like, oh, that's my spark, you know. I I, I love that. Uh, I remember doing Chanak, the remake of Chanak, uh, with Judy Ann Santos. One of my favorite stories to tell. I said, tell this to all my uh, to all my script writing students, etc. And I wasn't there for the shoot. I wasn't supposed to write the script, but I ended up writing the script. And I ended up in. Uh, but I had a planned trip abroad. So I was in, you know, I was abroad uh, visiting my brother, and I get a call from my dad. It's like we just finished that big scene with Judy Ann, etc. And she's so amazing. She did everything with a gesture. We cut out tons of dialogue because there was just so much that she could do uh, without, you know, without the scenes. It's like amazing. Like I'm so excited that you know Judy's do and do. I wrote for Judy, but then I was like, wait, how much of the dialogue? Which dialogue? <laughs> What did you cut? Wait long. Wait long. I mean, it's wonderful. But then when I see the the finished product, I'm just like, oh my god, you know, Judai is saying some of my words, but she's you know, um, really embodying a character, and it's just it's 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 a it's a it's an organic being, you know, it's an organic being. It's it's a wonderful process. I think that's why also like with with um, with discovering these things, like you just mentioned, like you know, Judai said she said everything with gestures. And I think yeah. that's what's so wonderful about the title for your class, um, for Archipelago. Mm. It's show, don't tell. And yeah. really a lot of things like a lot, if, if in, in um, for example, if, if you can use two words instead of 10, then find those perfect two or three words, right? Yes. And mm. there are times where you don't even need words, but then you need a fantastic actor to do that or you need, you know, Somebody to bring that to life. If I can say, like, some of the best actors can 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 say an entire monologue with just a look, mm-hmm. you know. But I think I think if the writer actually wrote down that monologue, then that would feed the look of the actor. Right. I don't have to say it anymore. You know what I mean? In in the script writing, if you look at the script writing format, you should be able to motivate your actors. Don't tell them how to act. But motivate them. Tell them what their character is thinking in the action lines of, of your of your screenplay. So that, I mean, I was always lucky to have been working with really intelligent and really wonderful, um, adventurous actors uh, in, the, in the movies. That I know. So I just had to, um, all I had to do was just motivate them. They're thinking this at this moment, you know, and then I'll describe the scene. And then I'll just put as minimal dialogue as possible. Yeah. And then let them run away with it. Um and when I and because of that of, of that joy, I've discovered also that I don't fully create characters. I only give enough so that it tells the story, and I leave empty spaces for the actor to put their own stuff in it. Oh, that's so nice. Because, oh, I mean, as an as an actor, oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm I'm so lucky. I had uh, Judy, and I I got to write for Sherry Hill. I got to write for J.C. Santos and R.C. Uh, R.C. Munoz. So you know, you just have to leave empty spaces for them to fill it up. You just need to give them enough to know that this is why their character went from this place to this place, yeah. why they do the things that they did, etc. But you leave empty spaces for them to play because it's such a collaborative medium. You know, nothing set in stone until the final edit. Yes, that's true. That's true. 
it's mm. it's funny like learning with with um you know film and theater are such different animals and coming from theater um going into the film world um when you're given your pages right you're given your sides and you're like this is all i get why don't i get the whole story can i can i see the whole story and nine out of ten times it's like oh a you don't need it so they're not going to spend money printing it for you yes right and it's b, always economics yeah and and b sometimes it's not even written yet so like oh we don't have the whole story yet so here these are your sides this is the scene for the day you're like what the fuck yeah it's such a different it's such a different animal but i love the fact that you leave empty spaces um, that's always my trick as an actor when I'm approaching a role is the first thing I do. I don't even read my dialogue. I, I see, you know, I scan my dialogue to see, okay, are there any big words that I, I'm going to make for the da'on? You know what I mean? Like when I, when we did Angels in America, it's like, and I was playing Belize the nurse. Yeah. Man, I had to, I had to say AZT in its full name. I can't even say it now. Yeah. I had to say AZT as a nurse as if I say it every day. <laughs> And then I realized, okay, the physical aspects of playing a nurse is even harder because um, when uh, I had a scene where Paul Holm, who was playing the the um, uh, with the asshole lawyer, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Roy Cohn, he was playing Roy Cohn, and he pulls out his IV, and mm-hmm. on stage during this dialogue, during my dialogue, he was thrashing about, and I had to reinsert his IV. And that's not even in the strip. It's like, oh, you know, Belize reinserts IV, you know, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And you realize that the amount of rehearsals you need, you know, the, the word, the AZT word was easy compared to me having to put in an IV as if I was a professional nurse. Because if any doctors are watching right now, yeah. I had to be believable. They'd be like, you know, or else they'd be like, ah, oh, this guy fucking actor. You know what I mean? Yeah. He didn't do his research. So to do that is quite amazing. But the first, the, the first thing I really do scan for are the empty spaces to see mm-hmm. where I can go with this guy or this girl, um, mm-hmm. where I can, like when I played Miss Trunchbull also, it's quite interesting because the empty spaces were very clear mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, I, you had your script, you had your songs, you had your relationships, which were basically two, you know, one with your sister, Miss Honey, and the other one with the kids. And they're yeah. all just kids. Yeah. <laughs> they're all just kids. They're all just maggots. You know what I mean? And then you fill in the empty spaces. Now, the difficulty with the empty spaces, I think, is... I mean, that's when you have rehearsal time, right? In film, mm. there's not a lot of rehearsal time. No, uh, it's usually one script reading. Yeah, one script reading, one round table, and then you're on. Then you're on. Um, when, you, when, you write, when you write your scripts, your screenplays, right... Um, aside from putting in the empty spaces, when you write, you know, you have to write settings. Where does this mm-hmm. thing take place? What the action is and everything. Um, do you ever think of the practical elements of the execution? Always. Always. Because, you know, um, back home, my parents didn't have an office. Our office was our home. So I'd come home from school and my dad's staff will be there. They're doing pre-prod. So mm-hmm. I'd go to the room, I'd change to house clothes, and then I'd step out have a sandwich, etc. I just came from school. And I'll be listening to them talking about, you know, these scenes. It's like, okay, we have to merge these two scenes together because we can't afford a second location. Is there a possible way that we can turn this scene 
37 is the same location as this. Well, how can we justify it? Um, so, yeah. And I'm listening to all of this. I'm like, oh, okay. And then my mom, who was at the earlier time of my dad's career, she was the, my dad's line producer. So she's the one mm. who hands out the money to, to the production manager, to the lights people, etc. You know, the money comes from the executive producer, goes to the line producer, and they're the ones disperse. And she's like going, your dad's trying his best to not go over budget, but he's going over budget, you know, that sort of thing. But my dad usually never does. I mean, it, it's just an example that I was very aware of the practical elements. So when that's, you- That's very unique. It's, it is because it, and I find it really funny in the industry, most of the stuff that I've done have been consigned. I've, I'm a consigned writer. I get okay. commission. Uh, okay. Can you write a script about uh, for this actor? Can you write a script for, for this, etc.? And I always ask, what's the budget? And they'll tell me, no, Vance, no budget. Just think about it without a budget, you know. Uh, um, and then we'll 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 pare it down once uh, no once once the script's been approved. And I think, no, be honest with me now because it's easier for me to be creative when I know my restrictions. True. Uh, true I know that true. I only have one big crowd scene. I'm going to use that big crowd scene in a really good way. Because if I put four great uh, crowd scenes, they're all going to be great. How are you going to cut one? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. You might as well tell me now. Tell so me now. I will make best use of your, uh, no, of, of your money, etc. I'll, 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 I'll isolate things in particular locations, etc. But I will still make it cinematic. Just li- give me my parameters. And people get so shocked because it's like, no, I'm a, I'm a production of whole. I grew up this way, <laughs> you know? I know what's going to happen because when I've been trained, at least in my literature, creative writing background, nothing is wasted. You can't cut a scene. You can't cut uh, or you can't shift the scene without the whole thing falling apart. So if you're going to cut something, I'm going to have to redo everything. Yes. You know? Yes. So you might as well start on the right foot. So the last chances of like a major scene being cut. Or yes. even a minor scene being cut because that minor scene will lead to a major scene in the in the in the story arc of the whole thing. Yes, it, oh, I, I, I'm very economical as a writer. I'd like to think. Give me my parameters and I'll meet it. I'm the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Considering I'm a technical director and I'm a production person, when I'm writing, right. I'm like, I don't care about budget. I'm just gonna write this. Right. <laughs> But then, of course, nothing's ever been produced because, yeah, seriously, how the fuck are you going to do that? <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I'm writing a fucking space opera. Okay. You know, why what's going to happen with that? I know. That's why it's a, it's a good exercise for your, to let your imagination run. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different. It's different when you're writing just because, oh, I'm just going to like, you know, see what comes out. And mm-hmm. it's different when you're a consigned writer. When you're a consigned writer, you're deliberately being contracted to, okay, you got to write this. And this is the budget, and this is the setting, and this is you know where we can go, and these are your actors, you know, yes. and this is this is what's gonna happen. Can you do that? And it's great because you're well aware of all the nuances mm-hmm. and uh, in character and story arc, but also the practical side, which is very rare. Wago, let me tell you, because uh, I have I have sat with many a writer on a film set, furiously, like not even in the film set, like 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 two houses down from a <laughs> film set, you know, typing it up furiously. While the crew is waiting, yes, you know what I mean. So we're we're burning, we're burning daylight, you know. Or we have to do a day for night or night for day, you know, because basically they're finishing it because something came up that was not practical, especially during the pandemic. I, I encountered a lot of those circumstances because simply because look, we can't, you know, we have a, we're gonna have a party scene with a lot of people eating as a safety officer. I'm the first person to say, wait a minute, you know what I mean? This is the height of Delta. 
Yeah, this is like the height of Delta, and we we're having like thirty-three thousand cases a day. I think. Wait a minute. Do we really need an eating scene? Sometimes it's even my fault, right? So we have to maneuver around that. Um, but it's it's the practical elements. I think your parameters are good in in terms of the production sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you impose any parameters with your characters? What do you mean parameters with my character? Like okay, like basically this guy wouldn't like if you would have to fight for a character, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of okay, somebody's um, a, your director wants to reimagine the scene and do this. Will you say no? I don't think his character would do that. No, I I, I don't have parameters um, because I also know that um, uh, film is a director's medium. So when the director says I want to make these changes, I'm going to try my best to figure out okay what is the director trying to say, trying to do with these changes, and how do I help him get to that point. Um, I think that's the difference, I guess, with a commissioned writer. Um, I'm not working on my, I don't have any ego on my script. It's nice. his film. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm going to do and use all my tools and techniques and experience and knowledge to help achieve what he wants. I think that's probably so, the reason why I haven't, I don't do very much. I don't do much spec scripts, speculative scripts, my own scripts that I just write for myself. Yeah. I wait until I'm commissioned. Ah, that's interesting. You don't have an ego. That's interesting. If you remove, if you remove, like you know, if if you're so attached to a certain scene, you don't get it. Like you said, when you write, you know it's gonna change. So from yeah. the get go, from the get go, you are already very loose, and you can let go of. Okay, if this guy does not say this line exactly perfectly as I wrote it, that's the nature of the game, and that goes also with characteristics, concepts, the arcs. Yeah, and, and you know what? There's also a different kind of joy to it because when you look at it and you get surprised, you get surprised by your own movie that you wrote. Oh, it went that... there. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, you know, and you're like looking at something new, but you know the DNA, you know, you know where this came from. Uh, that's and interesting. Then, and then when you see that um, things have changed, but the message is still there. Oh, it feels so good. And then you start to realize and you really a- a- appreciate the collaborative nature of film. You know? I didn't realize, I didn't realize with, with, in the film industry, there were so many people who had a say in what goes on with the frame. Yeah. I mean, being in theater, our frame is so big. It's the whole stage. It's yeah. the whole proscenium. It's the whole space. That I mean, so whatever goes into that, you better be on, right? Yeah. And going to the film industry and seeing, you know, looking at the monitor and looking at where the frame is, and you're like, oh my God, you realize just how much effort. Like it takes a village, an army, an of army people from designers, writers, you know, DOPs, you know, the cameraman, the lighting guy, and everything just to light, you know, or just to create that one frame, that one moment in a frame. And when you realize mm-hmm. that's like, you know what? Um, I realized. That in theater, yeah, we may have two months of rehearsals and we're doing it live, but this is an insane um, undertaking. Yeah, to get something, to get to, to to marshal all these resources for a frame, for maybe one word, two words. Mm-hmm. But then you realize if you look back in all the films that you watched, there's usually that one moment where you're like, "Fuck, that's the one that gets you." Yeah. You know I mean, or that's what makes you understand what this film's about, or what this character's about, or why is he doing what he's doing. It's that one moment. So mm-hmm. creating that one moment and preserving it, 
preserving it on film like forever. Yeah. Um, is is a different kind of immortality. That's one thing I didn't like about, you know, when people would ask me, Oh, Jamie, do you have a reel? And I'm like, most of my stuff's theater. So yeah. I don't have a reel. I don't have a reel to show. I can I can show you a souvenir program. It's completely different. <laughs> it's a souvenir program. You know what I mean? But I think it's interesting because you you create worlds mm-hmm. and you create people to populate those worlds and you give them a why, mm-hmm. you give them a where, you give them a how. Do you base your characters on any real people? Um, yes, I do. Um, do, do, I your, a... do your best friends, do your best friends like, Sometimes, yeah, but I like to merge. I like to merge qualities and characteristics from different people. But what makes it really difficult is when you're creating names for characters and you don't want to use a name of a friend or an enemy or an ex. Oh, but I have used names oh, an of ex. Characters. Oh my God, an ex. Ooh. I have used names of exes for unfavorable characters. Um, that's, that's, that happens quite a bit when possible. Uh, names of crushes, I get to use quite a bit. But in terms of characteristics, I like to merge. Um, like I said, I'm an extrovert. I meet so many different people. And it's like, I want to get the qualities of this person and add the, 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 the mannerisms of this person and put them together. You know, Th- those are the stuff that I love um, to do sometimes. Um, and, 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 and yeah, um, so sometimes, yeah, they, I, I base some stuff on, on real people. It's something like I, I always teach to all my classes also. Um, you, can't, you can't create from a vacuum. You yes. need to go out there into yes. the world, pick up from it, which is why I think commuting has become a really important aspect of my life. When I started to take the Jeep, the bus, the train, and you start to... All, all walks of life are there. All walks of life. And, and, and I admit this. I admit this openly. Um, what you call this? I have my earphones on, but I'm not playing music. I'm listening to people talk. I'm trying to pick up their rhythm, their cadence, what they're talking oh. about. I know it's eavesdropping, and I'm sorry, but I don't keep any of the personal information. All I'm learning is like the beat, the beat of life. Yes, yes. I think I think that's really important. I mean, I do I do the exact same thing, you know, with headphones on. Um, I've got great ears. I mean, I'm a sound engineer. I can mm-hmm. in, in a in a crowded bar I can zoom in mm-hmm. on the audio of a conversation and look at the mannerisms. I mean everything is a character study for me. Yeah. Like I love I love getting a new character in and I will road test this character. Mm-hmm. I will go out to a bar as my character. Oh and now okay. it's now it's it's very it's very it's very difficult when you're playing a serial killer because you have to go <laughs> somewhere. Right, but then certain certain characteristics you have to see if it works in the real world mm-hmm. because you're getting it on paper. It's nice yeah. to see the process of a writer taking it already from the real world. It's real already when yeah. you're combining mannerisms and gestures and the cadence, the cadence of people. You know the the, the verbiage, the mm-hmm. the way somebody wears you know a shirt. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Can tell you a lot about this kind of person. Yeah, it's already coming from somewhere real. And I think commuting. You know, I love I love walking. Because mm-hmm. I can, I'm, I'm a big guy. I can barely fit in a jeep. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, unless if they allowed me to make sabit, that's my favorite thing. But bawal na. But mm-hmm. I love walking and seeing yeah. people. And the times that I eavesdrop is when I stand still. Sometimes I would stand still and be, pretend to look at my phone, mm-hmm. like as if I'm lost. And it's in a hubbub of people, people waiting for, 
you know, they're sundo or waiting for a yeah. jeep and all that. And I'm just listening to the conversations. It's quite interesting what you pick up. And you try, and you, the worst, the hardest part is you have to keep a poker face because you're not supposed to be listening to them. Right, so I'm right. like, no, don't react, Jamie. Don't react. You're not supposed <laughs> to be listening. You know? That's why it helps have the earphones on because you could you could be reacting to the music. Yeah, but you know, you know? I I I'm I'm so loud. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm visually so loud. But I'm, girl, leave him. Or, you know what I mean? or it's the kind of things where you're at the you're at the MRT and you're seated seated down and it's not so full. And then there's I remember this very vividly. There was this woman in a very colorful outfit. She had a huge bayong full of like clothes, and I don't know, and they don't know what it was. And her head was tilted straight into the, the window, and she was fast asleep. Wow. And you start creating stories about characters like that. Yeah. Like, where is she going? What is she doing with all of those clothes? Is she le- did she run out of the house? Yeah, you know? did she leave in a half and a bath after a fight? Right. Or, or is she going to recto, et cetera, because she's going to go to her stall in Divisoria and sell these ukay ukay clothes, you know? And you start to, you know, why is she tired? And you start asking these questions from these very interesting um people that you see all around you and then you start building these little worlds uh and it's it's fun um it's, it's a nice little exercise uh, to play I love around people with. watching i love people watching because you know if, if you you know that that's what also another thing this pandemic was you know had removed it's like you you don't watch people you know um going about their daily business um when we shifted to the online that's the drawback we're all ready for the frame Mm. You have your lighting, you have your audio, you have your, yeah. you know, virtual backgrounds, and you don't get authentic slices of life anymore. What I mean, because the authentic slice of life is when the cam is off. You know what yeah. I mean? Online. Pag nag off cam, I'm like, oh, what's this guy doing? Those are the stories I make up now. Parang ay naka mute. Sino ko usap niya? What I mean? In that sense, yeah. but it's it pales in comparison because it's amazing to watch people go about on their daily lives and also realize that if there's somebody like you or me watching mm-hmm. us go through our lives i can imagine somebody who's watching you watching other people he's not really listening to music i bet he's watching other people like mm-hmm. i'm watching him oh my god then yeah so you also become a character in that sense of like if you're in a a, a car in the mrt you know what i mean mm-hmm. and you, you, you i i start i start going off into thinking okay what if the MRT breaks down and it's a zombie apocalypse outside and we didn't know. So I look around the car and I'm thinking, okay, who are these characters? This, this is the car I'm stuck with yeah. right? during the zombie apocalypse. Who would be the leader? Who would right. be the practical? Who would be the one panicking and all that? And you fill in the, these backstories. That's why it's so interesting. But also, when you say that you have given your given names to to uh to characters using your excess because they're, they're bad characters that's also why you have to be very careful around writers ladies and gentlemen <laughs> <laughs> because because we will either you know um uh dedicate uh an ode to you in history or we will vilify you in history oh, right? we will use you we you even just met once but you are interesting enough i will use you i'm sorry Everything is canon. Everything is canon fodder. <laughs> Everything's fair game, man. Yeah, just, change, just change the names. Just change the names. <laughs> or anyway, hell, if you know, if you, panindigan, if you have conviction, don't change the name. Let it be yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's true. Just, Although you know, I must, I gotta say though, you know, whenever I watch a movie or a film or anything on TV or anything on the screen, mm-hmm. right, I cannot 
concentrate when I'm gone and, and the character has my name. Right. I cannot concentrate. Because I'm like, oh, Jamie, what? Fuck, no, he's not talking to me. What? Well, that, you <laughs> see, that never happens to me. <laughs> You're lucky. You're lucky. <laughs> Most of the time, you know, the characters named Jamie, they're girls. So you're like, That's okay, true. all right. I don't and, and, and nice play if you like this girl. If you don't like this girl, you're like, uh you know. I mean, I've been growing up with this since Voltus Five. Right. Seriously. You know what I mean? And when you say, Okay, she's the feet, okay, she's not Steve, she's not Mark. But right, right, right. part of the team. She's part of the team, right? You know. But in terms of in terms of your class, okay, going back to your class to, to the scores you're teaching for Archipelago, um, are there any requirements? No, um, for the Archipelago class, it's really a beginner's class. Um, this is for people who have not gotten into writing before, etc. They're entering screenwriting for the very first time. So I'm really talking about the, the basics and the foundations. Um, so basically, uh, we'll get to learn, we'll get like, like an idiot like me, we'll get to learn the difference between a treatment and a screenplay. Yes. Because when um, you said that, Kaina, I was nodding, pretending as if I knew what it was, but I don't. Okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a common problem in my industry. You keep forgetting that not everybody knows the difference, right? But yeah, I, I talk about that. I talk about um, that whole discussion that we had on, for example, on visual language. Um, yes. That uh, writing for the theater is very different from writing uh, on on uh, a poem or a, a prose piece, a graphic novel. Uh, and people come in, especially when I look at the screenplay, because I've been teaching for five years now. So when I look at student screenplays, I see, guys... Some of these things don't look great on film. This is just two people talking. You mm -hmm. need to you need to think about your story on how it's going to look on the camera. And those are the things that I I, I point out. Um, what are we looking for in film? What are we looking for in stories in film um, that you don't that you have to do in for rather than what you do when you're writing prose, for example. Mm -hmm. It's I think that. it's interesting. I think it's interesting when you say, okay, so you, if you're writing for a film, um, just like going into your title, uh, show don't tell. Mm -hmm. um, if it's two people talking, um, yes, that might interfere with the pace of the story, unless yeah. it's really two fantastic actors and it's a, you know what I mean, in that, you know, that kind of thing. But it, where, it, where, where that scene fits, as a viewer, you would rather see it happening than just being told. Like right. I really hate I really hate it like when I go into you know when I'm watching a film and I'm like ah oh, this scene is just all exposition. Yeah two people talking. Yes. And you know you're you're I could read this instead or of worse, why am I watching? Or exposition that happens on act three. Yeah. Oh. Like, why are we doing exposition? We're so late into the story. All of that yeah. should happen at the beginning. Yeah. You know, yeah, because because you have to you have to push your if you have to push your for, story forward. Um, if you're doing exposition in like in you know in the second act or in the third act, then you're explaining everything you just showed me. So I have to backtrack in my brain. Yes. You know, yeah. there are some things though. There are some filmmakers though that do that, like that mess with your timeline. And I'm not talking about the multiverse time traveling shit, right? But it's <laughs> it, you know, it, it's like you know, like um, Pulp Fiction does that. Tarantino does that a lot to me in terms of like, wait, I really have to pay attention. But it's it's very easy to because it's so dynamic. Even mm -hmm. if they're just two people talking, yes. there's something happening in the scene that will right. compel right. me to watch. And then you piece it in your brain together as you go along. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a tricky kind of writing right there. 
Yeah, uh, what do you call this? Um, that's a little more on the advanced level, etc. But what I do teach, for example, in the archipelago is um, how to look at structure. Um, okay. Why we tell, why you tell stories in a linear manner, why you tell stories in a non-linear manner, um, and why these things are important in terms of... I like to break it down and say that, you know, um, screenwriting is really just... Infor- it's an information delivery system. You're delivering information to the audience one step at a time. You're giving them the information they need to understand the story when they need it for maximum effect. When they need it is important. Oh, yes. I've never considered that. When they need it. Yeah, because there's because, some... Because if you, if, you, if you give all the information in the beginning, I'll have to remember when the moment the, comes. Yeah, that the overwhelming, etc. Some things are great to hold back and then to let go at the right moment, especially... For mysteries, etc., you don't want to give yeah. the mystery away too soon, but you don't want to give it away too late. Mm-hmm. In a rom-com, Ooh. for example, you want to give as much of the information to establish the character so that we understand why they're going to get into a conflict. Yes. You know, and yeah. okay, I want to see how that plays out. So you try to yeah. establish everything as early as you can. So it's understanding the position, and you have to understand structure. And I have a whole module on structure. It's, it's, I think that's my strongest suit as a screenwriter. I'm great at structure. I, I'm, I'm shit at, at the dialogue. <laughs> ah, dialogue's not my strongest suit. It's, uh, my dad was like, Wango, everybody in your scripts talk like you, and nobody in this country talks like you. You say what you mean. <laughs> you mean what you say. That's awful. Have you... And you're an observant person. You know how people are, you know, you understand subtext. You know what people are really saying when they say the things that they say. How come your characters talk like this? I'm like, ugh. <laughs> so every time I write and I finish my first draft, before I submit it, I go over it again. I'm like, okay, is everyone saying what they mean? Is everyone? And then like, oh my God, they do all sound alike. So I have to add different rhythms for different people. Yeah. Dialogue is my, yeah. the part that I hate the most. That's the trickiest thing because I mean we all we all speak one way, right? Mm-hmm. And then we all have the thought voice in our heads, and it must it, like I find it really tricky to speak as somebody else. Um, as a as an actor, you know, you have to figure out okay, what what's what what not only what what is he trying to say, what does he want, you know, all the the who, what, when, where, how, why, you know, and all that. But you also try to figure out. Um, how does he speak? Can you chop it up? Can you break this? Does he sound too much like you? Mm-hmm. But I mean, that, that's always my thing. Because like, as an actor, you shouldn't see Jamie on the stage. You should see my character. Yes. You know, and, so, and, you, so you start thinking, you start thinking, shit, does he, does he walk too much like me? For me, I'm a very physical actor. I will figure out how they walk. And, you know, yeah, I, 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 I figure out, like, everybody asks me, so Jamie, what's your method? And I'm like, dude, all I have to do is find his shoes. That's Christopher Walken like, too. Really? I didn't know he's that. Because he's a dancer and he, he invents ah, yes. the walk for each character. All his characters have a particular walk. And once because he gets I find, that, I find that if I find the walk, then I'll find how they breathe. And if they find if I find how they breathe, then you find how they talk. And then you yeah. fill in the who, what, when, where, how, why, you know what I mean? Mm. Into what you're saying. But then how you're saying it is that that's how it works. You know, sometimes it's the costume. Um, sometimes it's, you know, like most often than not, it's my shoes. Mm-hmm. And then you realize also that, you know, in, in the complications of people in real life, right? Um, some people mean what they say, say what they mean. Mm-hmm. Some people don't. Yes. But it also depends on who you're talking to. 
Yeah. So that juggling that, I mean, juggling um, conversations between your characters or interactions between your characters um, has to define a relationship. Yes. Because is this person talking down to somebody or talking up to somebody or being being completely honest? And mm-hmm. when is he not? You know what I mean? I think it's a very interesting and very complicated thing to keep in your brain. And as an actor, you're only doing that for one character. I'm yeah, doing yeah, that you're doing for it for one all. character. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like it must be so complicated. Do you, do you hear voices in your head? No, but you know what's hilarious is when I'm writing dialogue, when I'm done with the treatment and I'm done with the whole structure of the piece, you know, every scene done, and now I have to add the dialogue parts. Dialogue parts always come last. So when you're okay. adding the dialogue parts, I'm the kind of person who starts talking out loud and I start switching from character to character as I'm typing. And then there was a time when I used to live with my family, etc. And people would come out and like, who's he talking to? And why is he doing different voices? Oh, he's writing his script. He's writing. You know. He's at, he's at the dialogue stage. Don't bother him. <laughs> you know, it's like that. And, and it becomes fun, you know. You, you're, you're there and you're, you're acting it out, etc. And then you're like, oh, you know what? I just said that the same way that I said the last line to somebody else. Okay, you change things up, etc. So... And then all of a sudden, you know, you know what? I've been talking nonstop. I'm monologuing. You, you, oh, my God. Do not monologue when script writing. Yeah, you can do that in yeah. theater. It's a convention in theater. Yeah. But we try to avoid it as much as we can in, in screen, screenwriting. So, you know, it's like, oh, my God, I'm monologuing. Cut this. Cut this. The person has yeah. to interject. Things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, I do speak out in their uh, – I, I do speak out um, when I'm doing yeah, the dialogue. Because it's, it's, it's different from the written page. And you realize, ah. like, you know, if you're, if you're a screenwriter – Right, mm-hmm. you have to realize that these words are going to be spoken. It's yes. that dialogue that will stay on the page or live in the page, but it is created for the purpose of being said by an actor mm-hmm. in a in a scene, whether he be seen or not. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, it's going to be spoken. So that's different. Uh, you know, immediately that's a very very different way of writing, right mm-hmm. there. Um, it's quite quite interesting. Let's shout out. There's there are a couple of people who are who are commenting. Hello, CM Bautista. He's Say my hi, student, actually. He's oh. a student of mine. So I'm getting, you know, I got conscious when I saw that he's here. I was like, oh my god, my students are listening. I got one who's on on track. Yeah. And um, our friend Otto, Otto Hernandez, who hi. says, I love that. My writing doesn't have an ego, diba? Diba? Mm. That's fantastic. You rarely hear that because I have worked with writers and they will fight for every word. But I think from if, my, from, it's me, it's come from my family because it's like I'm the youngest in a family of very strong personalities. All of my siblings have strong personalities. My mom, my dad has a strong personality. I had no, there was no space for my ego. There was no space for me, etc. I'd always had to just give in to everybody else. That's why I don't have an ego. Um, um, I just, just it's for some reason I still managed to become an artist. I don't know how that happened, but you know, um, but that's I think, how I think that... no, I think I think you do have an ego, but it's a healthy ego. Yeah, yeah. You you it understand is. you understand you know I think like in terms of if you if you're a writer and you're thinking in terms of structure, right? Mm-hmm. If you're thinking in terms of characters in a scene, every room you walk into, already you're thinking of your function. Mm-hmm. Okay. So like if you know it's it's the same way I think of that I think of myself in the same terms like okay if this party needs a clown and starts telling all the corny tito jokes I'm going to pull that out of my hat. 
If mm. somebody needs to keep everybody's drinks fresh, I will do that. Mm. Just to keep keep the cuentos going, keep the story going, keep the scene going, keep the hangout going. You know what I mean? In that sense. So I think that's a very healthy ego in terms of knowing, knowing what you can bring to the table, knowing also where, okay, these are, these are the lines. These are my parameters. These are my lines. And then you can choose to deliberately, am I going to cross it or not? But you're very aware of these things. And I think it also helps that I came into screenwriting or, you know, into this, this place of, of, of writing where you, have, where you have the possibility of becoming known and popular. I came into it late. I mean, if I came when in my 20s, et cetera, you know, I wanted, I wanted the Pulitzer. I wanted the Nobel Prize for literature. You know, as a young kid, as a, you know, when you get out, you want to be the best at whatever it is that you're getting yes. into. Um, and so I was trying to get that. I was trying to be the youngest Palanca winner. And then I was 21 and then somebody won it and he was 17. I was like, oh, God, that's not me anymore, you know. So it's like <laughs> that sort of competitive, competitive spirit is there. So but when I got into screenwriting, I had already done quite a bit of, um, you know, of corporate work, uh, writing for AVPs, writing for brochure copy, you know, yeah. writing for magazines, etc. where it's not about me. That when I got into screenwriting, it's not about me. I came into there with that mindset. I wasn't going to go in there hoping to get an Urian or a FAMAS, you know. Uh, I came in there because I love writing. I loved what I do. And I love, yeah. you know, I realized, oh, my God, I love film so much. I want to even make films, you know. Yes. So I was just happy to be in the set. I was just happy to be, you know, for people to be playing around with my story. That was good enough for me. And see, that's the, that's the, that's the passion that, you know, once, once, you, once you zero in, on what you love to do it's never work because never you will be happy to just be there i have said this in many many auditions that i go to mm-hmm. and i insist on still auditioning i mean i hate it when people try to give me a role and i'm like no i want to audition because you might find somebody better but i will mm-hmm. kill that fucking audition yeah but yeah. when they say when i'm auditioning to for a certain part i always put you know you fill up these forms auditioning for the role of yeah i always mention that role and then my secondary option, and then basically write down anything, mm-hmm. you know, like 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 all caps, anything. And I have I was asked um, I I was asked this question once when I was going out for a role I really really wanted. Um, this is for Rock of Ages, mm-hmm. and they asked me, so you know you want to play Dennis Dupree in Rock of Ages, Jamie? But what if uh, you don't get that role? Are you open to playing anything else? And I said, look, man, I will come in and sell programs. Because mm-hmm. I just want to be around this music. I want to be around this magic. I want to be around wow. this madness. I will sell programs. I will turn pages in the orchestra pit. You know what I mean? I will usher. Mm-hmm. And it's simply because if I can't be part of the magic, directly part of the magic, at least I can be around it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, what, that's, that's where your passion comes through. And that's where your love comes through. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's never really work. And when you say that I'm just happy to be there, Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 amazing to have, you know, to be invited to have a seat at the table. It's yeah. such a big deal. And you're coming also from being a bunso. <laughs> we were never at the table. You know what I mean? When there was something happening in the house, I was always at the kitty table. Yeah, kitty. When, you're bunso also. I'm bunso also. I didn't realize. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. With very oh, with very headstrong strong personalities for my sisters as well. Yeah. So whenever yeah. anything was happening, you were never part of it. You're always selling pusa or like watching, 
right? Yeah, but, observer. But, For me, it was like um, like when my dad's friends would come over and they'd have the talk with you know with with the kids. Everyone had something to say. I only had to listen because you know I was still just watching cartoons at the time. I didn't have any life experiences to to tell, which is why I was using you know really big words when I was young because I just wanted to you know I wanted to grow up so fast. Yeah, you know I never used buy. I purchased things. My, 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 my mom said, you know, Wango never bought anything in his life. He purchased everything since he was seven, <laughs> since he found the word in the dictionary. I just wanted to grow up because I just, I was always at the table. My dad was always lucky enough to put me in the table with, you know, production design. I grew up with production designers, actors joining us for dinner, his friends from abroad and whatever. I just couldn't be part of the conversation because I had nothing to share. You know, and my brothers did. My my brother, I have one brother, the one that I followed directly. He was a voracious reader. So even if he was like much younger than the than my older siblings, he mm. still had so much to say. Oh, I read this in that place, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they'd correct him because it's like book knowledge versus streets knowledge. You know, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. I had nothing. I was a dumb kid. You know. <laughs> And my dad was the kind of person. It's like when I try to come in with what I know, it's like wrong. The, the adults are talking. You know, just listen. You yeah, know? the grown-ups. The grown-ups are talking. talking. Quite um, absorb, just absorb. You know. Yeah. yeah. We're not here to That's talk about tunes. Same, same thing. Same thing. What my father told me too. Like, mm. shut up and listen. And only when you're absolutely sure you can say something, but check with me first. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, I don't. I don't want to be embarrassed in front of my friends or my people. So check with me first. That's and what I, I love about that's, that's so I think that's so valuable because at a very early age you realize that you should listen. Mm -hmm. Um, not a lot of people do that now because people, when you're talking to somebody, you're. I find that most people are thinking about what they're gonna say next. Yes. Instead of just no, take it, and throw it back. You mm -hmm. know, I think it's very interesting. I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall, you know. <laughs> in your household and we'd both be the kids there watching cartoons going who's that guy who's yeah that, that guy's yeah. really cool you yeah know? and i knew that things changed with my relationship with my father because there was a point in time when all of a sudden i was recommending books to him wow. and it's like dad have you seen this movie he's like no i've never even heard of it and watch it and then he loved it and i'm like oh my god you know yes. we've reached that <laughs> point you know we're, we're now we're now kind of like you know equals on the culture level you know uh and that was just an amazing part of our relationship because we were we were not just father and son we were uh we were friends we were um we were we were colleagues when it was about work oh my god there was no father son i'm your script I like writer and you're my <laughs> i like i like that i've heard you snore you know <laughs> I know what it sounds like when you snore, and I sometimes have to go down at 12 midnight or 2 a.m. to buy you sweets, you know? <laughs> that's, I, think, I, think it's a, I think it's a fantastic relationship when you go into, when you go into seeing, um, like, your parents, in general, your parents as mm -hmm. people, you know? They're just people. Mm -hmm. And they just so happen to have given birth to you and created you and raised you and fed you. But then at the end of the day, they're, they're just people. Mm -hmm. They're not perfect. When you see all their imperfections, um, you end up loving them more. Mm -hmm. So I love characters with you know that 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 is a summation of all their flaws, and somehow, for some reason, they make it work. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the kind of characters I hate. Perfect cookie cutter character, you know, cookie cutter characters mm -hmm. because they're just like you know, there's nothing to relate to. You know what I mean? But if this guy or this girl 
this character is so flawed and she or he is achieving something or getting something done in spite of their flaws or maybe sometimes even because of their flaws. Those are the most fantastic characters. I think maybe that's why the screenwriting um, workshop that you attended always say start with characters because that's the one that hooks us. Yes. As a viewer, the story could be fantastic. If I don't like the character, I'm not sticking to this. But I mean, also the reason why we also uh, focus on character is because what the character, uh, who the character is and what do they want is the whole basis of the story. Uh, you don't have a story if you don't have a character who wants something and then something gets in the way. Yeah. That's the If you cut down and break down every story out there, it's all based on that premise. Who is your main character, etc.? So you really work on character first. If you have no idea, like you want to write a screenplay, but you have no story whatsoever, just come up with a character who wants something and put something in their way. And how do they try to get, get through it? And you already have your story. Yeah. Now you just yeah. have to put the, the parts in between. Yeah. Then you have to. Then you feel, you have to populate it. Okay. Let's give him a funny best friend. Oh, yeah. let's, let's 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 put a ditzy girl in his way, or you know what I mean, all that, just to make it more, you know what I mean, dynamic in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, because there should never be a clear cut um, journey from what he wants or what he has to do to getting it done. There mm-hmm. always has to be obstacles. Um, sometimes they're funny obstacles. Sometimes they're serious yeah. obstacles. I think it's fantastic. Um, in terms of in terms of writing, do you think? Do you think in terms of function, functionality, in terms of your characters? Like, I'm going to put this one guy in just to fuck things up. And then you'll never see him again. No, I haven't done it in that manner. I've never, I've never done it in that manner. Uh, it's really a populated world. Um, you're coming in and you start to realize, okay, this person needs, uh, uh, what do you call this? Yeah, I mean, it just... Because I know what I want to say when I'm coming yeah. up with a story, I have a setup, I have a, I don't know, but it's like I try to find out what I would say. And every, every I, what I put in there is just to help push the story along to fit the mold of what it is I'm trying to say. So it, it, that works, uh, that kind of method works if you're working on starting building from character, trying to get what they want, and then you start to build the story from that point on. But since I have a setup, okay, what, I, what do I want to say? When I, say when, I, when I ask that question and I answer it, then I have the entire story already planned. So now I just have to fit the pieces in. There's no, yeah. there's no experimentation process. I know the there's, point that I'm trying to make. So it's just getting there, from there, now. There's no deus ex machina in the form of yeah, one guy. I, you know, fuck. You know, it, yeah, it's not, an, it's not a work in progress because I know where it's ending. Yeah, I know the point that I know. So I'm just bringing it there. Um, that's fun when you're doing, uh, which is a, a method that other writers do, where they they have no ending in sight. Yes. Uh, but that's really scary because you can get so lost in the writing, yes. and you might end up with like you know a Lavia's nine-hour film, you know. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, unless you have the the, the capacity and and the, the skill of Lavia's, be careful. You know, not everyone can do that. That's true. I mean, I, I can't. I can't even begin to name how many movies that I've seen. Like, okay, um, this is two and a half hours long. You could have made it fit into like less than two hours. I noticed that a lot of my writing when I write reviews, because I'm also a film critic, etc. I write reviews. Like, you know what? It's twenty minutes too long. There are yeah. things there that could have been, could have been taken out. It, what it does yeah. is it drags the story. It it, yeah. it it muddles things up. It has a clear point to what it says, but it lost it in the middle because you 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 wanted to work on this too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nag-comment si CM Bautista. The hero's journey. Flashbacks. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. The hero's journey. And what's nice about it is that, you know, in, in, in all the characters that you see, like in all the plays that I've done, even in all the films mm-hmm. that I've done, everybody is their own hero. We're just, the camera's just focused on the hero. But they're all heroes in their own story. Yeah. And that's, um, one, that's one of the exciting thing to watch. That's one of the things that I love about what uh, one of the people that I, I use in my in my classes, it says is Robert McKee. And one of these one of the one thing that he says is like, as a writer, you have to love all your characters, even the evil ones, even the bad ones. You have to love them all. If you yes, don't, you're yes. doing the, your story a disservice. Yes. Like he said, they, you, they have to be heroes of their own stories. And I, I tell them in my advanced script writing class in, in, in Benil, um, what you call this. If, if possible, create an arc for every of, for all your characters. Not all of the arc will be seen on screen. You save yes. the, the full arc for the main character, the, the protagonist, and maybe even the antagonist. But there are little arcs that are just so that when you when this particular supporting cast comes back, may nagbago. Something's changed with that person because yeah. they went through their own little story in the background. Yeah. You know, it's like just because you don't see them on on in the frame or in the scene doesn't mean that their life stops. Yes. Or their journey stops. Stops. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of things to be juggling in your head, man. You'd be surprised. <laughs> um, another thing I always say is that you know writing is a writing is a skill. You know, it's like a muscle. The more you work on it, the easier it gets. It becomes reflex. You know, um, when you work out, your muscles look better. They become stronger, so on and so forth. It's like that in writing. So the more you write the get better you become. It's like, you know what? I, this is something that I always do. I'm going to play around. Or it's like, okay, uh, sometimes you're not even thinking about it anymore. It's just in the back of your head. It's just yeah. stock knowledge, you know? That's what I like, I think, about um, Archipelago really helped me with um, putting the modules together. Uh, the building blocks that I, I, I taught, um, I think that once you get that ingrained into you, that becomes reflex already when you start making stories. And then, it becomes the, uh, the the starting ground for for you to play around with, because anything in writing and anything in art, I think, are just principles. They're not rules. Yeah. You can bend them. You you understand that they work. How do I break them now to make them work even better? You know. And how can I make them work for me? Yes. And because my, if and you have a different way of thinking, if you don't think in a linear way. Um, it's like you know, like, like I always say that, like I, the way I live my life, and and my wife constantly, constantly brings this up, is that you know, Jamie, the first thing you do whenever you go into a situation is you learn all the rules so you know exactly which one to break or bend. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, because it's more fun that way. Instead of like you know, like like shots in the dark, I know exactly when I'm crossing the line. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it it becomes a conscious decision. Am mm-hmm. I going to cross that line? Or maybe not. Or save it for later. You know what I mean? Yeah, and everything becomes so much more exciting and, and unpredictable. It makes life worth living, you know? And rather than breaking the rules, bending the rules. It, it's, bending that sounds a little yeah. more, you know, it's, it's rhetoric, but, you know. Uh, I think bending the rules would, uh, I think, demands a little bit more cleverness. Ah, okay. All right. You know what I mean? Then yeah. just like breaking the rules. It's easy to break the rules. If you say, don't yeah. do that, then you'll do that. But yeah. if I find a way to bend the rules and get away with it oh yeah right that's the best yeah i think it's going to be a very interesting class um because that's one of the classes i've signed up for oh my Um, goodness because i have so many i have so many ideas 
um, and I don't even know what to call them. Was it a treatment? Is it a plot point? Is it what? I don't know. I mm. just write. You know what I mean? And then figure out. And I see certain things. I see certain things. I hear mm-hmm. happen. Not, not, not. Uh, you know, some some of them are visual. Some of them are auditory. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of w- when you're writing, do you hear music? Do you hear? Uh, is, is how how important does music play in your writing? For me, I I set up a playlist on Spotify. Uh, and then if I'm writing a horror, I look for Max Richter, uh, who, the, who does the musical score of The Leftovers, this, TV, this, this HBO TV show called The Leftovers. Very dramatic, very you know, foreboding music, beautiful stuff. Um, if I'm doing a rom-com, then I'll put in like, uh, I'll look for movies, etc. with really nice soundtrack. It's got to be instrumental. Uh, I yeah. can't play anything with, with words with lyrics. Stuff, uh, yeah. because that's going to mess up my, the writing and whatever. Yeah. And then I score myself as I'm writing. Nice. You know, the music's playing. It gives me the mood that I need. And then the moment the script has reached that point where it's writing itself, then yeah. I can forego the music already. I can let it go. Um, music in the film, I don't actually write it um, into yeah. it. That's up to the director and how he wants to... Uh, put the scene unless I'm using unless it's um, I guess living with my father uh, watching movies etc reading about all of these directors and filmmakers in the process I think sometimes I do have a director's head that mm-hmm. I sometimes I'm directing already on my screenplay and I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to stop that etc nobody follows it anyway the director's gonna read it oh how cute mom was trying to direct I'm gonna do my shit you know <laughs> doing that anyway and so you do put like um something a, a theme that was playing in scene four should be playing at this scene as well you know sometimes yeah. it happens but very rarely yeah very rarely it's great it's great to hear like you know it's great to hear that music plays a huge part um in terms of uh like uh creating a character for me as an actor i always have a soundtrack same thing i always have a soundtrack with this guy what would he listen to mm-hmm. or what would be his soundtrack walking down the street yeah, you know what I mean. What would be his entrance theme in a room? You know, I I like to I like to go the next step in you know something you'll never hear in a play, right, or in a film, mm-hmm. or it could be something completely different. But that's my internal music. That's your internal soundtrack. So it's great that it also works for you in terms of like, you know, setting the mood, putting it, putting you, putting you in the zone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's that's so important. Music is oh, so important. Um, and it would it would have terrified me if you say, oh, I don't listen to music at all. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that would freak yeah. me out. How, how, how does that work? Yeah, I don't, I can't, I can't imagine a life without, I mean, like everything I do has a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Whether I'm washing the dishes, you know, or going on a mission because, you know, my wife sent me to the grocery and I have to find a very specific thing. That, yeah. has, a, that, that has a soundtrack. And we all have our internal soundtracks. Um, not not just the music that you listen to, but also the music that you're moving to throughout your mm-hmm. life, you know. And I think it's very interesting with um, as a writer that you're actually putting that. Like, if I ever get to act for one of your scripts, I'm gonna be like, Wango, what were you listening to? <laughs> <laughs> now that I know that, I'm gonna be like, what we listen to? What's the name? Wait, lang ah, let me add it. <laughs> In that sense. All right, Wango, we're, we're hitting, we're almost hitting the, the oh my god, one and that a half was hour fast. mark. Right, it's fast, right? But then, okay, I want to do, I want to do the rundown with you. It's a series okay. of 10, 10 quick questions. First thing that pops into your head, you can explain oh, no. it or not. That's cool. All okay. right. 
But since you're oh, a writer, God. of course, I, I modify these 10 quick questions for everybody, um, okay. depending on who I'm talking to. Okay, okay, so it's not math. Don't worry. It's not math. But it could be harder than math because the first question would be, what would be your favorite line from a film? Oh, God. Um, oh, uh, oh uh, it's an exchange, though. Um, it, it's the okay. first thing that popped into my head. It's like... Um, uh, I think I think this was from uh, Blue Jasmine. Uh, okay. So, uh, Kate Blanchett's character goes uh, copying Blanche Dubois. Um, I've always relied on the kindness of strangers. And then her sister's character, played by uh, what's her name, um, played by her the, the woman who was playing her sister, goes. That's a stupid way to live. I've always relied upon the kindness of strangers. You know, being very dramatic, etc. That's a stupid way to live. And I just, I, you know, it, it's the first thing that entered my head. It, uh, so surprisingly, I haven't seen that movie since the movie came out. Um, but that's okay. That's, that's fantastic. That's been immortalized. That's great. Okay, <laughs> question number two. All right, question number two. That's your favorite line. Okay, what would be a line from a film that you often use in real life? Oh my God, release the Kraken? I, I... <laughs> I didn't even particularly like that movie, but you know, it, it works in so many contexts. Yes. You know? We always uh, we always use that in theater when the director's about to arrive and it's technique. <laughs> okay, and we're like, okay, release the Kraken. Are we ready for his arrival or her arrival? Okay. Yeah, my best friend is about, you know, the, okay, we're going to piss off on somebody because somebody made a really big boo-boo, release the Kraken, you know? I think my most often used um, line from a film would have to be um, from Shakespeare in Love, from Judy Dench. Mm-hmm. Too late, too, too late. late, too late. Yeah, always. I mean, and I say it with her voice each time, each time. Mm-hmm. Like even when I'm criticizing myself, oh, I should have done that. Ah, oh, too late, too late. <laughs> and you just walk on, you know, when she played the queen. That's my most often used line, <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. In in a okay, so. Question number three. Wango, what turns you on? Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm such a fucking romantic. Uh, what, what do you call this? Um, like, what turns me on is that, 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 that those intimate, really quiet moments where people are just talking and then just naturally gravitating closer to each other. And, you know, it, what they're talking about could be the most casual thing in the world, but you could see that they're, they're and, and I see this in like K dramas or in movies or in, in TV shows. Other, they're they're really gay, and you're just getting. I get turned on because like they're connecting. These two yeah. people are coming together, or if it happens to me in real life, and they're like, yeah. we're having this conversation. I notice my body language is that I'm leaning in closer to this yeah. guy. You know, it's just like, holy crap! I I love that connection. Yes. Like even, I mean, I, I consider myself, I suppose, a sexual person. But the thing that I love most is the foreplay and the cuddling after. Get the job done quickly. Let's, let's get it over with as quickly as possible. <laughs> I love the foreplay, how we get to that point, and then the after portion. Because that's the important part. That's the least, I mean, the carnal stuff is done. But yeah. it's the connecting on a human intellectual level, but with the physical intimacy. You know? Yes. I love, I love that. that. I love that. I love that as well. I mean, there's nothing like there's nothing like connection. I prefer foreplay to sex, to be honest. 
It's like, oh, yeah, because that's, that's where you have all the buildup. That's where you're, you're getting yeah, to know that's you. That's all the where... fun part. And then everything else is that you've seen this, you know, you've seen this. This, this is done. <laughs> Sometimes it's bad, you know. Uh, but foreplay is always great. Yeah. Yeah. You great. know. That's, that's, that's amazing. Okay. Uh, to flip it around the man. Okay. What, turns, what turns you off? Huh. Shit, nothing comes to mind. Um, very little, I guess. I mean, I'm a very agreeable person, but uh, <laughs> you know what turns me off? Um, lack of conviction. Mm. Uh, uh, wait, what kind of turn on are you talking about here? What turns no, you it, on? It's up to you. Like, you know, like connection turns you on. Um, a turn off could be like a uh, long finger, yeah, dirty fingernails. It's a person who's not themselves. Uh, I mean, who's not a, a fully formed person. Like, they're, um, they don't have their own opinions. They mm. don't, uh, mm. there's nothing for me to connect with. Yes. I'm connecting yes. to the magazine articles that you read from. Uh, and so I'm not connecting to you, you know, uh, yeah. it's, it, it's all these rehearsed stuff that they pick up from society and there's nothing that they've imbibed and used and turned into themselves. Um, it really annoys me when I see characters like that on movies, etc. these, these yes men, etc. It, it's, they can be fun to watch as these characters, but it's like, oh, if I saw that in real life, ugh, no way. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm out of there. I'm so out of there. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Okay, as a writer, next question. If you had to choose only one, what would be your favorite word? I'll base this on something that I sometimes just mutter out of my on, on my own, like when I'm all alone and I'm reading something. And I'm also, how weird. I, I mean, to think about it on an objective level, it's interesting. The word hmm. interesting. Because it's like there and I'm just looking like, hmm, interesting. And it's like, I, I guess it's a favorite word because I use it for anything. If something bothers me, it's interesting. If it's something, it's such an ambiguous word when you use it yeah. in that manner, you know? Something's, yeah. Something uh, that tickles you, oh, interesting. But it's so versatile. It's you, so... Can use it, you can also use it in evil ways. Like, hmm, interesting. Interesting. Like, in, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's so many ways you can do that. And I, yeah. I find myself muttering it, uh, muttering it, you know, uh, subconsciously. Like I, I'll enter into a pose because I'm gonna act a scenario in my head for some reason. I'm, I'm coming up with something, and the first line that comes in my head, mm, interesting. And it's like, wh why does that the word that comes out? So I guess it must be my favorite word. There you go. There you go. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> oh God, I'm never gonna hear the end of this. <laughs> okay, going into words again, right? What is your favorite bad word? Curse word. I don't use it often, but I love it. It's cunt. And I know it's a sexist, you know, I know. But when it's used in the right way, yeah. oh my God, it's, it has such a powerful impact. It can be funny as hell. It could be so insulting. I never use it also because, I mean, it is a sexist thing, but it, I, there is a joy, see, especially when the Brits do it. Yes. When the when British do it, it can be oh, devastating, but it's also funny. It's you know also, I mean? it's also funny. How do they do that? <laughs> it, because, it's, because they're so cultured. We, we have this idea of them being so sophisticated. I mean, yeah, they do have the, you know, the, the chabs, 
you didn't know that they have their their their, their um, riffraff, etc. But are always thought of them, ooh, the monarchy and all of that stuff. So when they go get deep down into it, and they go, you know, you cunt or whatever, it's so shocking. It, it has that effect, you know. I, I yeah, I, I I don't use it often, um, but boy, when I hear it, it 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 I get like I have electricity when it used well. There's yes. electricity when it's in my used body. well. When it's mm-hmm. used well. And the I, British really have a monopoly on that. Yeah, really. It's power. It's a yeah. power word. Okay, Wango, next question. What drives you crazy? Crazy bad. Crazy nuts. Oh, sameness. Mm. Uh, one thing that I'm very... Uh, I think I have to apologize for is that over the, over the years, um, I've been jumping from circle to circle of friends. I think this aspect of my life, the last five years, has been the part when I've kept the most people for the longest. I'm always moving. I'm always uh, moving into something new, something different. And so I always tend to, like, I have these circle of friends. I love them to bits. But it's like I'm into different things now. So I'm moving on. So I have a whole list of, like, you know, barcadas that I, I was really entrenched in. But then I'm gone into different things. I'm so scared of the same thing, which is why the pandemic really sent me spinning, because it's just my four walls over and over again. I didn't yeah. buy new clothes because why? You know, I don't go why, out. Why? Exactly. I bought more pambahay, but I don't use pambahay for work, etc. So, you know, I guess that's what I love about teaching then. I'm so entrenched in that class, but then term ends and I have a new class. I'm teaching the Ooh. same thing, but it's a it's new a, class. It's a perfect cycle for you. Yeah, it's it's because you, you never know you never know who you're gonna get in the class. You never you never know what kind of combination of students you're gonna get. Right. I'm, I'm teaching pretty much the same films uh, for the past two years. Um, I, I've adjusted my films. I, I, I change it once in a while. But basically, because the films that I've chosen are perfect for the lessons that I'm trying to teach, yeah. you know, uh, the best examples to use, etc. I don't get tired of teaching them because when it's a different class, there's new insights coming, you know. And I love, I love that, that newness. And I, 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 get, I guess I get bored easily. <laughs> I don't know. Which well, is why I, I love it's, it's this, this K-drama thing where everything is like a, a mini-series. It ends on the 16th, and so I'm off to a new one. You know, it it gave me my full resolution. It's not dragging it out too long. Um, and, then, and then you move on. You move on to the next on. set of worlds and characters and storylines. Yeah. I guess that's why I never had a real, like a, a nine-to-five job until teaching because it this still has the sense of you know, um, yes. um, of change. Yes. It doesn't feel stagnant. I yes. always, I'm always on my toes because every class is going to be different. And I can have three classes in one term um, and I'm teaching all three differently because each one has different students, you know? Yeah. You yeah. have different needs. I love it, which is why I was a freelancer for most of my life. Write, love what you're writing, that project, and once it's gone, it's done, move on. Move on. Yeah. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. Okay. Um, going to the next question. Um, if you could name one, what would be your one indulgence or guilty pleasure? It's hard to think of a guilty pleasure because I don't feel guilty about my pleasures. <laughs> I don't feel guilty I, about them. I'm the same way. What, why, why guilt is such a use, useless emotion? Yeah. If you like it, <laughs> like it. 
conviction, you know. Okay, so what would be your so what would be your one indulgence? What is something that you would indulge in? What do I indulge in? I'm not a very indulgent person. I indulge in people. I used to get very, very clingy. That um, my God, um, they bought my friends used to buy me a shirt called Kalad Karin, you know, because it's <laughs> ako, you know. Uh, and I was very mobile, even you know, 2 a.m. etc. I'm, I'm out or whatever. Just, I, I was that person. I so I'm very indulgent with people, but this pandemic has turned me into realizing how much I love. Uh, hello. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay, sorry. Sorry, you, you, you got so still there. I thought it's like, oh my God, did my, my computer hang? No, no, <laughs> I started to enjoy the stillness, uh, enjoyed my solitude, etc. I guess right now during the pandemic, it would be, I'm really into the, enjoying this. This I, I've been consumed by the whole K, uh, Korean how uh, you wave, you know? Uh, everything I listen to is K-pop, uh, watching K-dramas, Korean movies. I'm cooking Korean food for you know for my meals. I eat with a spoon and chopstick. You know, it, uh, it's not a it's not a guilty pleasure, but it's um, I'm it's an I'm indulging myself in this in this this, this change of, of of pace. Well, you you mentioned earlier that, that you were learning Korean. I want to. I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah. Planning to. Yeah. There you go. Well, that's a good indulgence because man, that's some quality stuff they're putting out. I have yet to get into it. Um, because I was saying earlier off, off off the air, I hate subtitles. Yes. You know I, mean? I just hate subtitles, which of course denies me a whole hell of a lot of genres of film. A lot of opportunities of film, but I just cannot spend the time reading. But I think my so attention wanders so fast. I think that's what's wonderful about I mean that's wonderful and that's the the blessing and the curse of this generation, etc., with all of this streaming and and, and technology. There's so much. You can skip one because there's still so many great things that you can watch on the other spectrum, you know. So let's not, um, as long as they're great, as long as they're good, you know. Yeah. Or as long as you yeah. know that they're not great or whatever, but you enjoy them, fine, you know. Yeah, yeah um, there's nothing like sitting down to watch a film. You know it's going to be bad and you just want to see how bad it gets. That's also, that would be an indulgence in my part. Like, that would be a, like, okay, this looks bad. The description looks bad. The actors look bad. But let's see how bad they go. And sometimes they're so bad it's good. Sometimes oh yeah, yeah. Bad. Those are fun. Those are amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't have an indulgence because I know I'm an indulgent personality. So I, I I catch myself right away and I don't go there. Oh, I know what it is now. Mm. I I live in my head. I'm a daydreamer. I'm a Pisces, true blue Pisces, and so I can get stuck. In a, fan, in a self-made fantasy that I can live in, lie down for three hours and just immerse myself. It's not expensive, thank God, but it's time-consuming. <laughs> it's time-consuming. It's creative. It, it allows me to play around with, with, with fictional scenarios, but it's, it's time-consuming. I always worry about that. In terms of living in a daydream or in a dream inside your head, I am very... Very wary of that, that one of these days, you know, oh, then Jamie woke up. And apparently this life, this entire life, our conversation, everything I've done had been a dream. And apparently I'm daydreaming at my desk where I'm an accountant and I'm in a dead end job. And I wake up and I'm like, fuck, that's all a dream. Oh, it's a great dream. But why is that the dream? Why, why, why is this the reality? Yeah. Shit, let's make that into the reality. I'm always worried. That's why I love movies. 
it's such mm-hmm. a device though and then they woke up you know what i mean but then yeah. that's always my fear when i first watched like for example the matrix i'm mm-hmm. like oh shit you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Somebody's like peeking into my head. I love those mind fucks in that sense because that's my daily life. Yeah. Like I can I can I can actually go off and live in another world for a while and then realize, oh wait, this is my stop. Or oh 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 wait, I, I have my alarm is ringing or my phone is ringing and I'm like back to my world. I and thankfully, hopefully this is my world, you know. I can rewrite my history if I made this decision when I was six years old, boom, and then I go through the whole process of what my life had been. Yes. And then I start to think, okay, how do I bring it so that I still meet these particular people, but not that? How do I, with, with this trajectory of my life? Yeah. And this can last for a whole weekend. It's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. This is a guilty pleasure. I found, I found my guilty pleasure. It's it's a very Piscean thing um, to to be such daydreamers that we live in this fantasy world that we create. I think I think I think it's a guilty pleasure, but really, it, you know, that feeds your imagination. That feeds your, you know, if if you get stuck in the woulda shoulda coulda, it's mm-hmm. a different it's a different way of thinking when you say, oh, what if? What if is completely different than a woulda shoulda coulda. Woulda shoulda mm-hmm. coulda is regret. But the yeah. what if is, yeah, if I had, you know, gone down, if I had taken the blue pill instead of the red pill, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. If I had, if I had decided to go down this path instead of this path, where would I be? That's, that's yeah. like maybe 40% of my daydreams. The 60% of the shoulda, woulda, coulda. If I'm going to be honest, if I'm going to be honest, I'll be honest with you, Jamie. I think it's 60 to even 70% of that is the shoulda, woulda, coulda. Uh, yeah. we, we have a lot of shoulda, woulda, coulda, but that's a thing, see. You know, the shoulda, woulda, coulda, you know, in terms of like a, the tinge of regret that's mm-hmm. in it, I think it's important that, you know, this is, these are your bits of wisdom. Yeah. You shoulda, woulda, coulda. So in terms of the things that you regret doing or, oh, I behaved badly to this person or I broke somebody's mm-hmm. heart, I shoulda been nicer. What I mean? Mm-hmm. If you carry that forward... Yes. then you're not doomed to repeat the same mistakes. You're opening up to a whole new world of mistakes. Yeah. At least you're not repeating the same mistakes. So that alone is, I think, you know, with, with its hard-earned wisdom, it's real. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's real knowledge because at least you, got, you went through that, you made your mistakes, and that's okay. You know? yeah. But I like the 40% of like, oh, what if? Yeah. I that. Oh, I can go off that. And what's amazing about that is that when you try to start steering that, that new history, that new narrative of your life, and you're starting to bring it to like certain people and certain events, and you start to realize what was important to you. What are the things that you cannot miss, even though you're rewriting your life? What yes. still has to happen? Yes. You're like, okay, so this is important to me. These people are important to me. Yes, yes. And that's because that's basically the, they've shaped your life. Yeah. And, you know, if I, I would love to take the road of what ifs. But still, somehow end up here with <laughs> certain amenities. <laughs> you know yeah. What I mean? yeah, you know what I mean. A, In that with sense, a better, with a healthier bank account and some abs. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh, that that just crystallized it right there. Abs and a better bank account, right there. That's I'm it. with you. That's, that's <laughs> it. That's it. That's I just want to be with a better bank account and abs. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yes. Yes, I have never heard it crystallized so well. This is my life. <laughs> I want to be me with a better bank account. 
I will repeat it. I want to be me with a better bank account and abs, please. Thank you, yeah. God. Are you listening? Ah, okay, okay, okay. Next question. <laughs> Next question. Okay. If you could choose any artist, whether it be a director or an actor or any, who would you want to collaborate with? Oh my God! Living, okay, li- living, living or dead, past or present. Okay. Um, the first person. I mean, my favorite musical artist ever is Kate Bush. But the first person I would have said was David Bowie. Ah. Um, my goodness, the work that he's done, the methods that he's done, and how he was able to and managed to do all of that and still remain a good person, like a genuinely good person. He amazes me. Um. Uh, and one of the things that I, I learned from, uh, he had a series of albums that he made. And it's like, the, you know, I mean, David Bowie lyrics sometimes, like, how did he come up with this? Yes. And apparently what he what he used to do, he had this, um, uh, um, uh, a tape, uh, what do you call this? It was a, the tape method. The, he would write lines and then he would cut, uh, he'd write a, a piece from the person, like he was writing about the Berlin Wall. Yeah. And he'd write it from the point of view of a person looking at it. Then he'd write it from the point of view of the Berlin Wall itself. Then a yes. cat in that area, the girl that that boy was in love with. Then he'll cut up each line, he'll throw it in a box, and he'll start taking out pieces, and he'll just put it there. And he says, they're going to work. Even if the lines don't mean anything, one after the other, it's still going to work because it's all based on the same world. Yes. Uh, and he had a set of, of albums where he was using that method. And, you know, I really love... That, that 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 whole era of of when he was doing writing songs in Berlin with Iggy Pop. I mean, my yes. God, I, it's yes. just what a genius! Uh, yeah. And the the later works that he did. I mean, I would love to be able to collaborate with someone like that. And even it's if it's just, not like music or whatever, because I'm I mean I'm musically dead. I mean I'm musically ungifted. Um, Get him as an actor, you know. Yes, write a scene uh, for him, write a story yeah, for him, right? You know, short film with David Bowie, and then maybe I'll because you never that. know, you never know what he's gonna bring. Yeah, That's the thing you you constantly find out new things about this guy, and you know sometimes they make sense, sometimes they don't make sense, but they're all extremely interesting. It's very rare that you find an artist who has constantly reinvented himself but still stayed himself. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole time. You're like, how how does one do that? Yeah. Without completely, I mean, I, I mean it's a complete complete transformation, but he's still David Bowie. Yeah. You know? I and love so Kate rare. Bush. I really, really love Kate Bush. But the thing is, I, I mean, I've read two of her biographies. She's my ultimate, like, favorite music artist. But from everything I've read about her, she does things on her own. She's her own producer. I don't see myself collaborating with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just be happy to listen to her and 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 you know if she ever does a live concert ever again I'd love to be able to to watch her buy her albums etc but I can't imagine collaborate how do you collaborate with that genius but David Bowie has this this tradition of collaborating you know yes yes, yes. he, he invites musicians to come and record the album and they don't know what the fuck they're doing yeah they just know. know they're gonna make a David Bowie album yeah you know what I mean I have I have read so many biographies. You know, by other musicians who said, yeah, I got a call. I showed up. We didn't know what we were going to do. And an album came out of it. And it's and that's fantastic. So at least that I can imagine. I can Im- yeah. I, I'm can. i creative enough to imagine working with David Bowie. I'm not creative enough to imagine working with Kate Bush. I would love to just have a coffee with David Bowie. Mm. You know, yeah. my God. That alone. Okay, good. David Bowie. All right. Um, okay. Uh, quest, next question. All right. 
we're coming towards the end of this, okay? Yeah. Um, all right. So when you get to heaven, Rango, long time pa for now. But when you get to heaven, what do you want God to say to you? It's okay, Wangs. Heaven's a nice place. I mean, I thought you were gonna ask, like, parang what would you, what would be the first thing you say? I was like, oh my God, there's a heaven. I did everything wrong. Right. <laughs> but um, what would I want God to say? It's like it was enough. I, I, you know, I want him to ask me. You know, I hope you had fun. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's a just, that's a great that would be a great welcome. Oh, yeah, fun. I, I hope you had fun. Come in. There's more I, I, fun I here. Know, I don't even know if this is what you call this, if that's original. I mean, it seems it sounds like something I've read or something like that, but um I, I wish it's original, but I think it I, I read it somewhere. But I mean, isn't that a wouldn't that be just amazing after everything we've been through here, the highs and lows, etc., and you get up there and the first thing he tells you is like, I hope you had fun. Uh that's one thing like, and that, that's that that would be something i would put on my tombstone he had fun yeah i mean that's fun. the whole point i mean if you're not having fun in your life dude you gotta get a new life you have yeah. to have fun you know that's fantastic i can imagine that kind of welcome you know that would be a heaven it's like hey you, you i hope you had fun here's come in and have more fun look david yeah. bowie's right there david oh. bowie's right there he's been waiting for you you're like fuck <laughs> i'm oh, there there man. is a heaven <laughs> yeah there is a heaven, heaven. All right, so I want to jump into um, rather quickly because you know we're, we're we're pressed for time. But um, okay, fearless forecast. All right, we're in the grip of election fever. It, the campaign season has started. Um, who do you think our next president's going to be? My goodness, you know what? I don't or who do you any... want? Or who do you want our next? I'll president? answer. Who do I want? I mean, I want Lenny. Uh, yes. I want Lenny to be our president, etc. But. Um, to have a fearless forecast, I had a fearless forecast in the last election, etc. For this one, I don't know anymore because I think I have been um, affected by this whole spate of fake news for the past six years yeah. that I don't know what to trust or what to believe. Like, it's, uh, I don't know how much of my worldview is my echo chamber. Yes. Like, I want to say that, you know, um, Lenny's doing strong. She has a really good chance of winning. But then um, I don't want to discount the popularity of the, of the opposition. Yes. And everything within my worldview tells me that a lot of the opposition, they're uh, paid. They went because they're goodie bags. Um, um, they sh- I, I've seen pictures of the empty seats, you know, and that um, all of the, the, their caravans, etc., were either paid or picked up from somebody else's pictures that's not the caravan at all. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that is my echo chamber or how much of that is the truth. Yeah. I don't want to underestimate the opposition. I'm calling them the opposition. We're the opposition. In this, in this regard. <laughs> I'm calling them the opposition, etc. I don't, um, my, our opposition, I don't want to underestimate them. Um, yes. It's a battle. Um, and it's not going to stop until... Uh, elections over yeah um and so i don't have a fearless forecast because it's like i don't know how much can they cheat if they will yes we were not aware of the machinery behind them the things we don't see or hear about what's going on i mean we can only do our part in terms of campaigning for you know who we want yeah and you know in in that sense you're right it it, it's only just started and it's not over until the fat lady sings, man. You know, mm-hmm. until until all the votes have been counted. 
And there's so many things that can go wrong along the way. But I think yeah. I think one thing that I am hoping for for this election, um, that somehow we keep it classy and we don't we don't succumb to you know the dirty the dirty tactics and the uh you know the 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 dirty campaign tricks you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think i think that would be ideal in a sense because the people's belief like a lot of people like you know you see you see things on facebook and you, like you said it could be your echo chamber mm-hmm. so you don't really know you know you take it with a grain of salt or this picture makes you happy but is it real you know so there's a lot of questioning going on and I think just the whole idea that we should question um, where, 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 where you know the sources, the sources of this yeah. news, the sources of your happiness and your fear as well. Yeah. If we question it and research better and go out on the ground, if we are a- able to, I think yeah. that would really count. But then even on the ground, it's still an echo chamber. I mean, yeah. you know, with with this with this with this whole coloration. Of oh, are you red? Are you pink? Are you blue? And I'm like I I'm, I I wear black. All I have is black. <laughs> you know, does that mean I, that doesn't mean I don't have a candidate? Yeah. But you know, even if I don't wear own a stitch of pink, I you know I I will research and I will I will I will um you know think decide I would have to decide intelligently. It's mm-hmm. not just your heart; it's also your brain. What's what's good for you, or what you want in a candidate or in a president might not work for the rest of the country. So it's also for the benefit of the country. You have to think mm-hmm. beyond yourself. You have to remove yourself also. Although, you know, a voting choice is a deeply personal choice, you know, because you have all these reasons and, you know, you will stand up on a soapbox and proclaim these reasons and you will scream at the top of your lungs. It's a very personal choice. But if you actually remove, like in your writing, that ego on what mm-hmm. you want, what would be beneficial for the country? And it's the country that we envision. We, we tend to forget that, you know, our country, the Philippines, is an idea. Mm-hmm. It's an idea. Because we're, we're you know, we're all we're from all walks of life. We're all mutts. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In that sense. So how, moving forward, what would be the idea you want to work towards? And if you want chaos and, you know what I mean, like of the apocalypse, then by all means, we have candidates that fit that bill. Yeah. But if you want, but if you want a measure of stability, if you want compassion, we also have candidates that can fit that. You know what I mean? So I think you have to think about that. Um, in in ter- you have to really decide, you know, and do your research, really. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, that's, it, I think. Right. It, it's just no. It's um. I got exhausted. I think. Mm. Because I have been like on social media, on, on my Twitter. I'm act- I used to be very active on Twitter, where I was really um, uh, posting like my, my political questions, uh, really uh, retweeting and, 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 and providing as much um, platform for my candidates as possible, etc. And then you, 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 I, I, I go down the street and there's this uh, Sari Sari store that uh, I buy. Um, uh, uh, detergent from and you know all of this stuff and then one time it's just like um, they asked me who I was voting for and I found out they were voting for uh, BBM and it's just like mm, you know and I asked them why and it's just like maganda kasi nung panahon na yun etc and it's just like I'm not ready to do an, an engage uh, yes. you know uh, it, it's such a it was so disheartening uh, and, and to realize that you know uh 
on Twitter, on social media, maybe because it's my echo chamber, etc., they make it sound like they have less and that we have more. Mm-hmm. And then I go down on the street level, etc., and you see that there are people are around you, etc., more than you think. And it's just like, oh, let's not keep our hopes up. They just have to keep, you know, yeah. pull up your yeah. shirt sleeve and fight. Yeah, yeah. Pull yourself up from your bootstraps and, you know, keep on doing I, the good work. Kind of early, you know, in terms of my uh, pre-campaigning thing for my for my candidates, etc. I started last year and I found I should have waited and should have held off. And then <laughs> got stronger now, but, you know. But hey, you know it's it's gonna be it's gonna come to a head. I mean, you know the circus is just beginning. So really, uh, yeah. yeah, we gotta we gotta manage this because I mean, you know, when, when, when the worst part is when I when I encounter people who don't have an opinion, like you said, like you know, neither here nor there. It's like, oh, I don't know yet. You know, maybe this. You know, they're not interested. And I'm like, dude, the this is our circus. Yeah, <laughs> it's not you know that, that that saying or like, oh, not my circus, not my monkeys. No, these are our monkeys. We are the monkeys. And this is our monkeys. And no, right? and, and the ones that who say that, uh, the ones who say, um, um, nothing's going to change anyway. Mm. And I'm like, that's because nobody does anything. Yeah. Nobody puts the vote. And, you know, it's also very clear that, you know, if you want change, it, it really does have to start with you. Yeah. More, more intelligent choices to put in your government, but also your daily behavior has to change. The sense of entitlement or special treatment or kilala ko si kanyan, you mm, know, and yeah. all that, it has to change because, you know, we're, we, we, we love that as Filipinos. It's like, yeah, you know, I don't have to wait in line. I'm on the guest list. But I mean, we love shit like that. But in a bigger, bigger scope, which is the future of our country, we got to toe the line. You know? Just, just you know, throwing tr- litter on the street. You know, I mean, just Something as simple, as, simple as, that. as that. And if they go to, you know, if they become OFWs or if they go as a tourists abroad, etc., they follow the rules. Yes. Why can't we do that here? You oh, know, that's that, the biggest simple thing. thing. You know, um, voila, it's it's it, it's a complete reevaluation of my uh, of my attachment and feelings to this country. It uh, has gone into a uh, not because of this pandemic. Like, yeah, um, to think that. In the whole of the world, if I'm not mistaken, it's only us and the Philipp- and Venezuela that's still mm-hmm. undergoing online classes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. It's, it's we haven't found and- we have we haven't found a way to come back yet. Yeah. For one reason or another. And I miss being in the classroom. My God, I'm an empath. I need it. I, yeah. I hate teaching Zoom. Not only that, like Wango, imagine in this entire generation, this is going to be their gap years. Yeah. You know, in all in all levels. Can you imagine that huge gap in your formative years? Not just, you know, with courses. You can take courses online. That's okay. But your interaction with people, yeah. your dynamic with people, your social interactions, figuring out who you are because and who you're not, because you're surrounded by other people. Yeah. You know, that alone. We're 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 basically this generation of kids growing up are being told, you know, for the for the for the first year of the pandemic that it's bawal to go out and play. Mm-hmm. Like not just because your mother and your father are not allowing you to go out, but it's actually the law. You can't hug people. What? That freaks me out. Yeah. You know. But that's why we've got to make good choices, man. Got to make good choices make and good you know, hey, Philippines, it's it's high time we make good choices, guys. So, you know, 
Let's keep it clean, though. Let's keep it clean. Keep it clean. All right, Wango. One last question. All sure. Right, one last question before we before before we uh, say goodbye and wrap this up. What words of wisdom or advice would you give to anybody just starting out in a creative field in writing per se? In the creative field, um, it's uh, it's my go-to advice. Uh, two things: keep doing it. Uh, it's it is a skill. Uh, yes, if you have natural talent, that's great. Uh, it makes things easier for you. Um, it, it comes naturally to you. But I'm not a naturally talented writer. I work hard for my scripts. You know, I'm a natural storyteller. Structure is my forte, etc. I can see the patterns and how to put it together. But writing it down is a chore for me. But I do it, and I've made a living out of it since I was in 14. I was professionally working at 14. It didn't come naturally. I just loved doing it. I kept doing it, and it just got easier. You know. So if you really want to get into it, just keep writing. And don't always expect that your first work is going to be a masterpiece. No, you know, my first, my first full-length film is shit. I don't talk about it really because I'm so embarrassed that, you know, my inexperience came through. I have wonderful actors working on the piece, etc. But I'm just like, when I see it, I'm just like, oh my God, I made that. Um, <laughs> you, know, you get better. You always get better. Um, so you just have to keep at it. You start to learn things on the way. You learn things by doing. The other thing that I will always share is that, you know, and I said this, I think, earlier before, artists don't create in a vacuum. You've got to engage with the world. Uh, you're going to be an artist. You need to have a worldview, a point of view about the world, a point of view about humanity, because that's what you're expressing in your art. So you can't live a sheltered life. You've got to get out of your comfort zones. Yes. Yes. Be adventurous. Get out yeah. there. Have fun. Bend the rules. Fun. Yes, bend the rules. Sometimes break them. It's fun. Sometimes break them also. <laughs> but before that, you have to know what the rules are. are. <laughs> there yeah. you go. All right, Wango. Thank you so much. We've hit the two-hour mark. Yay. Oh, my God. We could keep on talking, man. <laughs> but hey, thank you so Wango, much. Thank this you. is so much fun. Thank you so much. And hey, I'll see you in class. Oh. <laughs> Thank Take you. care, Wango. We love you. Ladies and gentlemen, Wango Galiaga. <laughs> All right, guys. Make sure to check out their social media pages or go to their website, archipelago.com, for more details on Wango's class and all the other courses you might want to take. It's amazing. I mean, if this is any hint of what he's going to be teaching, I learned a lot from, from just hanging out with him. So can you imagine if he, he's actually teaching me something? Um, man, I've signed up for that class already. So, hey. Make sure you uh, check out the, their, their social media pages or go to their website, man. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, first of all, announcements from Offshore Music. Anna Mori just released her latest banger called Vivid. It's available on all streaming platforms, and she'll be releasing an awesome music video. I should know because I was there when they were shooting it. On February 11 on her Vivo channel. So do check that out. Thank you also to our friends from Buenos Dias, Panadiria. Your Milo Buns, constant happiness, baby. There's nothing like it. Thank you also to our friends from Liquor.ph. Thank you for my bottle of Angostura. Caribbean rum, baby. Yeah, check out their uh, social media pages on their website also for the best deals on bottles and bundles. Thank you also to Collab Asia and our partner, Anchor Podcasts. Guys, it's the easiest way to make a podcast on your computer or straight from your phone. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started. Anchor, it's the easiest, easiest way to make a broadcast. It's smooth like butter, baby. And of course, thank you to our featured partner, Archipelago. So guys, Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to On The Rocks. I'm Jamie Wilson reminding you to please stay safe, stay strong, and stay sane.
Keep on rocking and keep on rolling. And if all else fails, let the music keep you going. And if you find that life has gotten you shaken or stirred, mixed up around the rocks, what matters most is that you take your shot. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and good night. On the Rocks with Jamie Wilson is brought to you by Offshore Music. Go where the sound takes you.